you're in the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. So Chris O'Brien, every spring, takes what we might call, if we lived in that country, a walkabout. So he is on his annual or semi-annual walkabout, and he'll tell us about that when he gets back. But he'll be gone for a week or two. So, in the meantime, we'll have a guest co-host who may also be the guest. So, next week we'll have Greg Bishop. This week we have Micah Hanks. Micah, are you ready? Oh, yes. As always, born ready to rock. As opposed to Born Free, which was a song of 30, 40 years ago. (laughs) Well, you know, in this country, I'd like to think I am. Although I was telling a friend just earlier today uh, about how you know, I'm not one of these conspiracy theorists, to, at least to any extent that I think that uh, one can be criticized these days, you know, like some of the websites, the sensational kind of conspiracism that we see. But I've noticed, especially around the end of the month, it is just so unbearable <laughs> where I live in Asheville, the police presence. A lot of people joke around about there being a police state, but I'm pretty certain I was almost pulled over last night for doing absolutely nothing wrong. I merely was driving at night. I, I was kidding with my friend. It's like there's a curfew or something around here and people will say they're trying to meet quotas and whatnot and i'm not demonizing i've got friends in the Asheville police department but uh you know nonetheless it does seem to be a little less free maybe than it once was born free huh yeah born free and then enslaved thereafter <laughs> and you don't need a police force to do that gene You've, we've got taxes for that right <laughs> right but north carolina is already a controversial state because of that bathroom law and i don't want to get into that Except I'll just point out for those who are either conservative, liberal, or whatever, there is no report from any police department of anyone abusing anyone else as a result of going in the wrong bathroom. So let's leave it at that. That's what the police say. I didn't say it. I didn't make it up. He's not the New York liberal. But let's talk about a few subjects that came up in last week's episode, which featured Nick Redfern and Greg Bishop. And maybe you want to follow up. And the question I asked first, and you're a young whippersnapper, so you may know this better than anyone else except for Chris, who, of course, is a musician. And that is Prince. Did Prince ever do anything in terms of his music that had a paranormal aspect to it? Yeah. As a matter of fact, Gene, there, there was a lot of interesting stuff. Gosh, I even have some sound bites of him talking about various things, which we may or may not have to get to right now. But I can definitely tell you the kind of things that he was interested in. In some of his songs, uh, one particular called Dreamer, Prince had uh, talked specifically about, uh, you know, while we're asleep at night, you know, there are chemicals being dropped over the city by helicopters and whatnot. And it sounded like a reference to chemtrails. Now, that may not be paranormal, but it certainly is something that's prevalent in conspiracy literature. Now, most people know the theories about chemtrails go back to around 1996. There was a bulletin, I think, that was being put out on the web in various places. Probably not just a bulletin. There were a lot of different theories, and it had to do with the idea that, again, chemical agents were being released from aircraft. Uh, Most recently, uh, I think the newest form that this uh, theory has taken was a WorldNet Daily article written by none other than action star Chuck Norris from the Missing in Action films and other such kung fu and karate movies, although he was a Chun Kuk Do stylist himself. It wasn't really kung fu. That said... When this article appeared, it was interesting because although I think really some of the other celebrity deaths uh, in the music world have been overshadowed by more recently Prince and before that David Bowie, we also lost Glenn Fry of the Eagles and Merle Haggard. Merle Haggard, just like Prince, had had a line in a song that specifically said chemtrails. 
And Chuck Norris references both of those songs, the Merle Haggard tune and also Dreamer by Prince. And so I was interested in whether or not Prince had explicitly meant chemtrails in this lyric in Dreamer, where they're talking about chemicals being dropped from above. And sure enough, there was a 2009 interview that he did with Tavis Smiley, the talk host, in which he specifically states that he was very aware of the phenomena. And there's a long pause where he's saying this. He pauses as though he's kind of collecting his thoughts, Gene. And then Prince says, this phenomena called chemtrails. And he goes on talking specifically about when he was a child. He said that they would be standing out in the yard and looking up at the sky. And he said you'd see a contrail and go, oh, that's cool. And he said over the years, there would be more and more and more of them. And he said he always believed that when they would appear, everyone in the neighborhood would start fighting. So he thought, Prince did, that the chemtrail phenomena was some sort of a measure to control mood and behavior through the release of chemicals into the atmosphere. Chuck Norris, on the other hand, in his recent World Net Daily article, had uh, inferred that this had been more likely to be something used for purpose of immunization, but to immunize the populace without their knowledge. You know, it's, it's interesting. There was a bulletin that was released by the Air Force a number of years ago in which it actually tried to debunk some of the chemtrail theories. But the funny thing is, is that you know what happens when an uh, official agency dispels rumors about a conspiracy theory. That only bolsters the claims in the minds of the conspiracists themselves. So that was one thing that Prince spoke about, but I'll give you two other brief anecdotes thereafter. When he was a child, and this also from the Tavis Smiley interview that he did in 2009, Prince also said that he was born with epilepsy. Had you heard that before? No, I did not. I do know that the authorities are looking into the fact that he apparently had some problems and had to take painkillers, addictive painkillers, opiates. Right. See, I wonder if there hadn't been some underlying health issues is the point. But anyway, about the epilepsy thing, he said that he was born with epilepsy, but that he believed he had been healed by an angel at an early age. And he said that he didn't have conscious memory of this, but that his mother always told him when he was a child that he walked into the room with her one day and told her, Mama, I'm not going to be sick anymore. And she says, no, why is that? And he said, well, I've been healed by an angel. So that was the story his mother always told him. And then right before his death, Gene, this is also kind of interesting. Prince had had a gathering there uh, at the at the Paisley um, estate. Uh, I don't think that's the actual name. It's called Paisley something. He had had a gathering in which there was, I think, a private concert there at his home. And he had said at that time, apparently he'd also privately said to friends before this, that he was a lucid dreamer. And he said he regularly had lucid dreams. And after David Bowie died, he said that Bowie had come back and had... Uh, spoken with him during some of these lucid dreams, and that he, he always relished being able to see friends who had passed on to the other side during these extremely vivid lucid dreams he had. Oh, boy. It looks like a lot of singers tend to get involved in this sort of thing. I think so. They they tend to have a lot of, uh, how would you put this? They, they have a lot of these um, kind of esoteric interests. Uh, and, y- and you might say that it's the, the sort of abstract, random nature of an artistic mind. But I'll tell you who Prince always reminded me of, Gene, was uh, Jimi Hendrix. I remember particularly when I was a child seeing uh, Prince. uh, He was performing probably sometime in the mid-1990s. At this point, he was going by just the artist. He had uh, had kind of renounced his name there for a while. And he was playing one of those wild, funky-looking guitars of his. And I'd never seen him play guitar. And when I saw him play, I was like, wow, this guy could be Jimi Hendrix reincarnated. Now, he never claimed that that was the case, but... I mentioned Hendrix because Hendrix had apparently, in order to kind of um, inspire himself, and I think Chaz Chandler, who had been his uh, his uh, manager, Chaz Chandler, formerly, formerly of the uh, Animals, 
Chaz had also been one that would uh, give Hendrix sci-fi books. And from time to time, uh, it was said that Hendrix had read not only sci-fi but UFO books to help inspire his uh, songs and the kinds of far-out-sounding songs that he wrote. So, you know, whether or not there was any other kind of – there's obviously, and I, I think you can't deny the influence, especially in his guitar style uh, that Prince has. He was obviously influenced by Hendrix, but, uh, you know, you're right. It is something that you find a lot of uh, musicians and artists do tend to kind of gravitate toward these subjects and are certainly interested in them. Um, but I was very interested to hear that Merle Haggard had been writing about chemtrails. And I've also further heard that he was very interested in the paranormal in general. And uh, that uh, a friend and fellow podcaster of mine recently, Jim Harold, had mentioned that, yeah, he said uh, Merle Haggard had had all kinds of interest in UFOs and things like that prior to his death. So a lot of people, I think, really are more interested in these subjects maybe than many of us know. Well, there is that, that the fact that creative people tend to be carried along to the paranormal. Let me carry along you to this other thing that we offer. Our thing after the Paracast, it's the second radio show we do. And the only way that you can hear that show is to become a member of the Paracast Plus. Go to plus.theparacast.com, P-L-U-S.theparacast.com. And once you're there, you'll get the instructions. You'll learn about all the features, such as the enhanced version of this show without the ads and Lots of other stuff coming, plus.theparacast.com. So Chris O'Brien's on Walkabout. We've got Micah Hanks. You're in The Paracast. I know that a lot of our listeners are interested in UFOs, the issue of giant skeletons found in America, paranormal investigations, and what the top researchers think about such topics. One online magazine has been presenting such unusual information since 1985. It is Alternate Perceptions Magazine at apmagazine.info. Use their search function to find articles on just about every topic imaginable. That's apmagazine.info. Do you need a website? Well, you can get a great deal on hosting services with Namecheap's legendary coupon code. They're offering substantial hosting discounts on shared hosting, business hosting, VPS hosting, reseller hosting, and even dedicated servers. Namecheap is preferred by millions. It's backed by a money-back guarantee. Use the coupon code LEGENDARY to cash in on the special deal at Namecheap.com, Namecheap.com. Hi, Peter Vaccaro for ParanormalDate.com. Are you looking for love in all the wrong places? Now you have a chance to change that by signing up for free at ParanormalDate.com. This incredible dating site puts people of like minds together. People who are interested in the strange, the unusual, mysteries, ghosts, UFOs, and the afterlife, and so much more. ParanormalDate.com was developed for you, people seeking a viable alternative to the other dating services. You can join for free by going to ParanormalDate.com, and if you decide you like it and want to connect with people, use the code GEORGE for a substantial discount. Mark Rawlings, president of ParanormalDate.com, says so many people hunger to share their experiences about the paranormal, the unexplainable, or the afterlife, and so much more, and this is the source for them to meet and share that common interest. So sign up for free at ParanormalDate.com, ParanormalDate.com, and use the code GEORGE if you decide to connect with someone you like.
Are your Google search results killing you? Unflattering content in blogs, news articles, online reviews, social media, or other sources can jeopardize your reputation, your business, and your livelihood. Let Reputation.com help. Our patented technology will make the truth about you more visible while pushing down unwanted negative content. Improve your Google search results. Call Reputation.com at 1-800-831-0771 for a free consultation. That's 800-831-0771. My computer is so slow, it's making me crazy. I used to have that problem. Did you quit using a computer or, or did you buy a new one? No, I called Geeks on Site. They made an appointment to visit my home and showed up the same day. You mean they didn't ask you to bring your computer to a shop? That's what happened when I called a support company. Geeks on Site can go to your home or business or even repair your computer online. They have 24-7 emergency service. If you are having problems with your PC or Mac, call Geeks on Site. 1-800-591-1682. Our friendly certified computer repair experts are available 24-7. Call now for a free diagnosis. 1-800-591-1682. Data recovery, virus removal, and maintenance for all laptops, desktops, printers, and networks. That's Geeks on Site for friendly certified computer repair experts available 24-7 over the phone or in your home or business. Just call 1-800-591-1682. That's 1-800-591-1682. We use mobile devices right against our bodies every day. But growing scientific evidence has emerged showing serious health risks associated with exposure to EMF radiation emitted from these devices. The solution is Defender Shield, the most effective mobile radiation shielding ever developed. Defender Shield blocks virtually 100% of EMF radiation from cell phones, tablets, and laptops and starts at just $64.99. Buy now at DefenderShield.com. For 10% off, use promo code GCN. DefenderShield.com, the worldwide leader in mobile radiation shielding. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com. We have Micah Hanks joining us this week as our combo guest co-host and guest. And we're keeping him busy. And we started talking about music and rock, but I want to jump into other subjects because we have so much to talk about here, and we've got questions from our listeners. So we also observed last week the passing of Albert K. Bender, who was very much responsible for the Men in Black legend, not the first Men in Black case. You can go back to a possible Men in Black encounter during Maury Island. But did you do much studying of Albert Bender? You know, I'm I'm quite familiar with uh, Albert's uh, you know legacy. I think, especially with what some believe was the literal creation of the uh, the Men in Black. Uh, of course, he was really uh, now. Correct me if I'm wrong. He had really been one of the most uh, outspoken uh, flying saucer uh, advocates early on, and he of course had had that publication that he had been putting out. And there was that strange circumstance where he actually ceased the publication. Uh, and had said rather cryptically that he had apparently come very close to finding out the secret behind flying saucers, but that it was something that he couldn't really talk about very much. The famous story, as listeners here, of course, will know, is that Bender had been allegedly visited by uh, individuals whom really many kind of view this as one of the earliest, at least as far as ufological appearances, one of the earliest appearances of the men in black. But, you know, some people, and I, um, I think that probably Nick Redfern is the very most 
uh, knowledgeable expert right now on the MIB phenomena, having authored not just one, but many books on that. Uh, he, uh, in one of his MIB books, had uh, featured a series of essays by other writers, and I had uh, contributed one, which will tie in with Albert Bender in a unique way here. Um, the essay that I wrote was talking about really the prevalence of uh, you know negativity and and darkness and and even death and and evil that is associated with the color black uh, and has been really the case throughout century. You know, if you all, if you watch the old western films, the bad guys wore black. You know. <laughs> Although really in many of the films, actually, the good guys did just as well. So the, uh, the interesting thing is, is that when we, when we see um, mysterious figures, uh, the motif that is very prevalent with men in black, which is usually the black suit, the tie, sunglasses, sometimes there's a hat that accompanies that, uh, we, we see it appear in a number of different kind of manifestations. We can go all the way back to Odin. And when in the mythological lore associated with Odin, it was often said that he would wander in the in the form of an old man. He would often wear a long-brimmed hat like that, and sometimes would be shrouded in in dark clothing, robes, and things like this, so as to disguise himself as he traveled. Interestingly, um, various interpretations of that character are said to have become uh, influential in the minds of authors that would appear later, such as J.R.R. Tolkien. Odin had been one of the inspirations behind the Gandalf character. Uh, some have further said that uh, that similar imagery of the man clad in black with the long-brimmed hat and sometimes a scarf just as well, there was one particular kind of a nouveau uh, image that had uh, allegedly been the uh, inspiration behind Tom Baker, the fourth doctor in the British sci-fi series Doctor Who, his character, and the appearance with the hat that he wore. It, he didn't wear black by any means. He usually preferred brown coats and had the brown fedora with a wide brim and then the long, long, long scarf. But that also had been kind of inspired by a very similar sort of man in black imagery. You know, in more recent times, there was this interesting phenomena that occurred up there in, uh, in Baltimore in which there was what was known as the Poe Toaster, which I mentioned in the article that we did for uh, Nick's book. The Poe Toaster was in likelihood not merely one person for at least a long time it was, and then I think probably the progeny of the individual carried on the tradition. But the story of the Poe Toaster was that there was this man who once again in a long black either cloak or cape or other sort of garb, a long-brimmed black hat and then a red scarf about his neck. Sometimes it was a white scarf and sometimes he was carrying roses. The story was that the man would walk through the streets and he would head to the grave of Edgar Allan Poe at night. And he would often do this without being accosted. But as the years went on and the legend became more and more famous on the night, coalescing into midnight and of course marking the advent of Poe's birthday every year, people would begin to gather on the streets. And from time to time, uh, some people would actually harass the so-called Poe toaster. Unfortunately, I don't think that he appears any longer, but the tradition was he would lay flowers and a glass of cognac, well, actually an entire bottle, on the grave of Edgar Allan Poe. But he would partake in a glass, raise it to the great poet, and enjoy a beverage himself there before he left. So, you know, once again, the Poe toaster kind of evokes that, you know, long-brimmed hat, the dark-colored garb, sometimes a scarf. You don't hear very much about MIBs wearing scarves, but as far as ufological appearances of these kind of characters, yeah, Bender was the first who said that these, I think it had been three individuals of memory serves that came and visited him there. He had inferred that they had been very intimidating and that these individuals uh, had sort of silenced him. Yeah, uh, but you see, the interesting thing about Bender is that in 1962... He came out with a book called Flying Saucers and the Three Men, where these men in black were supposedly ETs from a planet called Kayak with a silent Z. Yeah, it's kind of funny. Um, there's a photograph. In fact, if you go to Wiki the Wikipedia page for Albert K. Bender, 
there's a photograph where he's posing by one of those uh, images, which is the classic MIB. And what you find is with with his implication or the the you know his his you know belief that these had not been individuals trying to silence him from perhaps a government agency, but rather aliens themselves. Once again, you find this kind of unique idea that it begins to emerge in the UFO culture that there is some sort of an operation in which both the flying saucers and their occupants and officialdom are sort of working in tandem, or that variously there is a UFO operation that is intermixed and interspersed within our own society. Uh, you know, in other words, that they have vested interests here in Earth and that they actually operate on it. So, yeah, with, with Bender, you find a lot of those earliest kind of formations of the, of the various memes that you'd start seeing later in UFOs. And, Gene, I, I've begun to kind of look at it almost folklorically in, in, in a lot of ways over the years. I'm not saying that there isn't some truth behind these stories, but I don't think we can deny that someone like Bender claims to have an experience like this. And that story is proliferated throughout various literature over the years. By the time the story has been retold and retold and retold and appeared in so many books, it has gotten to a point of being legendary in status. And so many aspects of the story change. It's very difficult. And as a UFO culturist, I guess you might call me, uh, I'm someone who looks at the culture that surrounds UFOs, the things that advocates say and the things that skeptics would say, too, as it relates to their various beliefs, even though a skeptic is supposed to be a person who is, in, in their way of thinking, antithetical, I guess, to belief. They nonetheless have beliefs. I, I think that should really be pointed out. But the way that belief about this subject has built up over time based on the legendary status that some of these stories take on over the years is probably to me more interesting in a lot of ways than the UFO phenomena itself and really I think fundamental to understanding it too. Albert Bender was certainly one of those influential figures who lent a lot of legendary uh, kind of themes to this broader phenomena. Bender had turned his attic where he lived, I guess with his family, his parents, into kind of a chamber of horrors. And this is something that Nick referred to last week. I just wanted to get your early reaction to it. But the thing that we started to talk about last week, and we didn't get through it. It was only maybe three or four minutes in the final segment of the episode. We had so much ground. I thought I'd put this in your lap in terms of UFOs. And it's a belief in UFOs as a possible solution or a part of a solution that really, I don't think, has really gained all that much traction. And that's the story and the theories of the late Trevor James Constable. And we'll talk about that in our next segment. We have Micah Hanks of the Graylian Report. Chris O'Brien's on Walkabout. So it's with Gene and Micah. You're in the Paracast. Thank you for listening to GCN. Be sure to visit GCNlive.com today. Bad news, Americans. You're probably stockpiling for a disaster all wrong. When the big one comes, you'll need more than that poisonous, oversalted survival food you now see everywhere. There are three vital things that your survival food is missing, and it's the first thing to disappear from grocery stores. Go to superfoodradio.com now to see my story of how I nearly died when I was forced to live on a popular survival food. That's superfoodradio.com, and I'll show you how everything you've been told about survival food is dead wrong. Go to superfoodradio.com now. Are you worried about how dangerous the world has become? In these days of terrorist attacks, natural disasters, or even a future collapse, you need to be medically prepared to keep your family safe. I'm Joe Alton, MD of store.doomandbloom.net, where you'll find an entire line of uniquely designed medical kits and supplies for when help is not on the way. For everything from individual first aid kits to the ultimate family medical bag, 
Go to store.doomandbloom.net today. That's store.doomandbloom.net. You'll be glad you did. Are you worried about your mom or dad living alone in their house? Hi, I'm Joan London. Listen, I know how difficult it is to find senior care for someone you love. That's why I recommend a free service called A Place for Mom. They are the nation's largest senior living referral service. Call A Place for Mom today. To receive free information on senior living communities in your area, call A Place for Mom at 1-800-704-6182. A Place for Mom offers free one-on-one advice from local advisors and a personalized list of senior living communities you can visit. If you have questions about senior care for your mom or dad, there's a place for answers, a place for mom. Call A Place for Mom in the next 10 minutes to get your free ebook on financing senior care as well as free information on senior living communities in your area. Call 1-800-704-6182. That's 1-800-704-6182. How would you like to make 17% on your money in only 90 days? That's right. Gold owners made 17% in only three months as gold had its best quarterly gain in 30 years. Gold is on the move and you need to get government-issued legal tender gold coins starting at only $139 each. The U.S. Money Reserve, one of the largest gold distributors in the country, announces the first ever at-cost gold release on this station for only $139 each. 1-866-944-GOLD or online at usmoneyreserve.com. Official U.S. government-issued legal tender solid gold coins at cost for only $139 each. Call 1-866-944-GOLD. Ask for a free 55-page gold buyer's book. Plus, get a free Walking Liberty half dollar just for reading this must-have book all about gold. Remember, gold is on the move, up 17%. Call 1-866-944-GOLD. I'm Nick Soboleski, a select quote agent with a true story that could save you hundreds of dollars a year. A woman named Linda just called. Her husband, Ray, has a $300,000 group life insurance policy, but is changing jobs and can't take it with him. Well, I impartially shot the highly rated term life insurance companies we represent and found Ray, who is 41 and takes medication to control his cholesterol, a 10-year, $500,000 policy for under $26 a month. That's almost twice the coverage for less than half of what he had paid. If SelectQuote hasn't shopped for your life insurance, you're probably paying too much. For your free quote, call 1-800-403-4885. That's 1-800-403-4885. 1-800-403-4885. Or go to SelectQuote.com. We shop. You save. Get full details on the example policy at SelectQuote.com slash commercials. Your price can vary depending on your health issuing company and other factors not available in all states. Hi, this is Don Ecker, and you are tuned into the Paracast. Let me tell you what, you're going to hear stuff here that you probably won't hear anywhere else. Hear that, George Snorri? He's doing an echo. I can do all sorts of crazy sounds, too, on this mixer, but I choose not to. You know, it's hard enough for me, the way it's adjusted, to sound like a human being. You know, I really have to push that. Really (laughs) difficult, but I manage. Okay, so we had a book I first became aware of 30, 40 years ago called They Live in the Sky. And the author was Trevor James Constable, except that the book listed it as Trevor James, which I guess he wanted to make a pseudonym. He died recently. His theory was that 
at least some UFOs, were like giant amoebas, living creatures. So what do you say about that? I think it's a really interesting theory. Again, I don't know how likely, uh, in, in my own personal estimation of the broader UFO phenomena, it may be. But I, w- I always found it interesting because Trevor James Constable was one of those characters early on who was someone who was trying to take, I think, kind of like Keel and, and a number of others. He was trying to take a kind of atypical approach to understanding the phenomena. He wasn't going to give himself to this idea that, well, I think, therefore, they must be aliens. He was, he was willing to entertain the idea that uh, this may be some kind of terrestrial phenomena. And as far out as I think he called them critters, and as far out and, and as absurd, in fact, as that may seem, I, I give Constable credit for having at least tried to look for an earthly uh, understanding of the phenomena before leaping to the conclusion that these must be extraterrestrial, which your listeners, of course, know, as, as do mine, that uh, this is not particularly an estimate of the situation, as it were, uh, that I endorse as far as UFOs go. I just don't know that there's enough evidence that says we, without question, know we're dealing with ET. So Constable kind of took that same approach, too. I actually, this is kind of interesting, I actually had an, in, uh, an opportunity to interview Trevor James Constable a few years ago. The book that I had become familiar with was not the one you mentioned. I actually had read another one called The Cosmic Pulse of Life. And uh, a, a friend of mine who is actually just as nerdy as I am about this sort of stuff his nerdiness about UFO subjects and, and similar things might rival mine and yours put together, Gene. But Vance Pollock is his name, and he had gotten a copy of The Cosmic Pulse of Life because he's very interested in that era of ufology, those 50s and 60s researchers and some of the interesting theories that were coming out. And he had written to, to Constable to see if he was still alive and if he might mail the book to him and have him sign it. Constable replied and said, by all means, yes. And he uh, actually signed the book for him. And so Vance approached me. This was probably seven or eight years ago, Gene. And he said, you know, you ought to get this guy on your show. No one ever talks to him anymore. And he was a really weird thinker as it relates to UFOs early on. And so I did. I contacted him, found an email for him online, and he agreed to do an interview. And he wanted to do three hours. He said, we have so much to discuss. And it was kind of sad because I got the distinct impression that he didn't get to do many interviews. He didn't, he didn't feel that his theories were very taken very seriously, I think, in the modern UFO era. And he hadn't had an opportunity to really, first of all, be approached by anyone, let alone be offered an interview. And I told him, unfortunately, we've only got an hour, uh, but I'd still like to have you on. So I called him up and earlier in the that program that night, I'd been filling in on a local radio station uh, that I uh, did a occasional guest hosting position on here in my hometown of Asheville. Greg Bishop, of all people, had been on the show in the first hour. And I mentioned, as we do in radio, I teased who would be our guests in the second hour. And Greg said, oh, well, he says, you're lucky. He says, I've always wanted to talk to that guy and I've never been able to find him. And I said, Greg, stick around and, and talk. And so Greg held on the line and from the telephone did what I'm doing with you today. He did a guest co-hosting thing with me and we interviewed Constable. And it was really interesting talking with him because again, here he was again, a really kind of a maverick thinker for his day. Uh, and and we, we had this interesting talk. So fast forward to the present. I hadn't heard that he'd passed away, as you just mentioned. And it was none other than Greg Bishop who had posted about it online saying, oh, we've lost another one. And I wrote on the post that he made on Facebook, I said, Greg, I'll try and find that interview we did. And Greg said, wait, what What interview? Greg didn't remember right offhand that we had spoken with Trevor Constable. And so I couldn't find it in my archives. And I posted online that I was trying to find it. Lo and behold, here comes Vance Pollock again, having seen my reply to Greg's post and emails me the audio file, which I now have back in my possession. And so, yeah, it's, it's rather interesting to look back now and uh, even 
you know, seven or eight years ago. Look at how my own ideas about this phenomena has changed, let alone how much it has changed since Trevor first proposed the idea of critters in the sky. One final anecdote, it did remind me of something, Gene. There was a story, I think, written by Arthur Conan Doyle, uh, probably in the latter part of the, uh, the 19th century, called The Horror of the Heights. Are you familiar with it? I don't think so. Why don't you tell us? It was a short story that Doyle wrote, uh, which involved, now you got to keep in mind that this is, uh, you know, it may have actually dated to the early part of the 20th century, because I know it involved airplanes. So it actually may have been a, a later uh, art, uh, story. But in the story, a pilot, an intrepid pilot, decides to ascend to an altitude that no other pilot had ever flown to. And, of course, he was aware of the dangers that might uh, arise from flying his plane so high, but he was, he was compelled, kind of like the proverbial cat, uh, you know, toward water or maybe an electrical outlet. <laughs> he flies higher and higher to just to, to fulfill his curiosity, and he gets to this altitude. And when he gets up there, there are these jellyfish-like uh, creatures that exist up in the, in the upper reaches of the atmosphere that at that time in this story no human had ever reached. And uh, it was the earliest mention that I had found of, uh, once again, another meme that we find that is rather pervasive throughout certain UFO literature, uh, which is the idea of flying jellyfish or UFOs that resemble jellyfish or other kind of sea creatures. So this was sort of similar. I know Ivan Sanderson had talked about this kind of an idea just as well. And, uh, and, it, and it was very reminiscent of what Trevor Constable had uh, proposed with his critters, these amoeba-like uh, life forms that actually existed up in the sky. That's what it is, amoeba-like creatures. But, you know, I mentioned this very briefly, and I don't, I don't know if you remember this. There was a sci-fi TV show, kind of a cult show, that went on the sci-fi channel called Farscape. You remember it? I do remember it, although I, I regret to say I have not uh, pursued watching it uh, as I should, but I think it is on Netflix. Okay, so it's about this guy who takes a spaceship, a spacecraft, kind of a primitive one, an astronaut, and he gets caught in a wormhole and is transported to the other side of the universe in a place populated by a few Muppets because the son of Jim Henson was one of the producers. But it turned out that the spaceships they used were all living creatures. That's pretty interesting. Living, living space vessels. Once again, I guess I could make a, a, a Hoovian reference here that uh, I think it was the fifth series of uh, Doctor Who since the relaunch, which would have been the first series starring actor Matt Smith playing the role of the 11th Doctor. There is a uh, city that the doctor and his new companion Amy Pond visit, in which the city is 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 traversing space on the back of a space whale. It's a, literally a large uh, blue whale-like creature that's flying through space, and it's being controlled against its will. Uh, kind of an interesting concept, but yeah, you you do see that again, uh, pretty prevalent in various uh, sci-fi literature. This idea of uh, of an organic or a semi-organic uh, component. Uh, within the actual spacecraft, uh, and not just, again, a sentience, like artificially intelligent spacecraft and things like this. I mean, we're talking about an actual biological organism that is, that is uh, you know, tasked with propelling one through space. So that's kind of an interesting thing. Um, there was sort of a bit of that motif, I noticed, that came about in uh, the film based on Travis Walton's uh, hair-raising encounter with a UFO, uh, Fire in the Sky, 
of course, Travis uh, is very outspoken about the differences between his experience and what appeared in that movie. It was very much a, a Hollywood rendition. But in the film, the, the interior of the spaceship, for those who remember the movie, had a very kind of an organic feel to it. It was almost more like he had gone into some sort of a weird slimy cave rather than the interior of a, a you know, flying saucer that one might expect. Now, just one thing in addition that is a peculiar side aspect of Trevor Jane's Constable, that when they were putting together material for a follow-up book to Flying Saucers and the Three Men, Trevor Jane's Constable was one of the people who wrote a piece, a letter that was included. So did he have a particular interest in the kind of experiences that Bender had? Let's find out more in our next segment. We've got Micah Hanks. So it's Gene and Micah, you're in the Paracast. Thank you for listening to GCN. Be sure to visit GCNlive.com today. Conspiracy Journal is your number one source for the hidden world of the weird and strange. We bring you thought-provoking and controversial material for free-thinking individuals who are seeking what is really going on in our world today. Some of this material may adversely affect you. Other pieces are meant to enlighten. Either way, be prepared to be intrigued by such things as the reality of UFOs, ghosts, strange creatures from time and space, hidden conspiracies, time travel, Nikola Tesla, suppressed technology, and a whole lot more. You can find out more by visiting our website at conspiracyjournal.com. There you can sign up for our free weekly newsletter sent directly to your email address. Find out what they don't want you to know. By now you know that wireless technology like cell phones do in fact pose dangers to the health and privacy of everyone. Blockit Pocket's wide range of products are unmatched in providing the protection you deserve. No scare tactics, just common sense. BlockitPocket.com offers quality American-made options to alleviate and eliminate these invisible dangers. Learn more at BlockitPocket.com or call 888-315-9618. BlockitPocket.com, enhancing health and privacy. Dr. Joel Wallach here. If you're a baby boomer and you're worried about the big epidemics coming, and I'm not talking about the bird flu or the swine flu, I'm talking about epidemics of Alzheimer's disease, heart disease, obesity, diabetes, arthritis, cancer. That's because the 80 million baby boomers followed all the advice of doctors, and uh uh-oh, Houston, we have a problem. See Dr. Wallach live in Farmington, New Mexico, Thursday, May 12th at 7 p.m. Go to www.cdocinfarmington.com. That's www.cdocinfarmington.com. This is Rick Osick, President of Famous Footwear. Our company is working together with the March of Dimes through March for Babies to raise money and awareness about the serious problem of premature birth in the U.S. As a business leader, I know that babies born very sick or too soon cost businesses billions of dollars each year, in addition to the emotional stress on employees and their families. That's why Famous Footwear is committed to raising funds to improve the health of moms and babies everywhere. Won't you please join us in the March for Babies? Start a team today at marchforbabies.org. This is it. 
For the first time ever on this station, U.S. government gold offered at cost for only $139 each. With Wall Street suffering its worst start to a trading year in history, now is especially the time to be paying attention to gold. This first time ever, U.S. legal tender government gold offered at cost for only $139 each is from the U.S. Money Reserve. Call them at 1-866-944-GOLD. Gold is on the move, so don't miss out. For the first time ever on this station, U.S. government gold offered at cost for only $139 each. 1-866-944-GOLD or online at usmoneyreserve.com. Ask for a free 55-page gold buyer's book. Plus, get a free Walking Liberty half dollar just for reading this must-have book. Get your free gold book, your free half dollar, but most importantly, get your gold at cost for only $139 per coin. 1-866-944-GOLD. Paid non-attorney spokesperson Adam Pulaski of the Pulaski Law Firm with principal office in Houston, Texas is the attorney responsible for the content of this ad. This ad is not legal advice and the choice of a lawyer should not be based solely upon advertisement. Services may not be available in all states. Attention Zarelto users. If you or a loved one took Zarelto and suffered a serious bleeding event, you may be entitled to financial compensation. Zarelto is a popular prescription blood thinner used to prevent blood clots and protect patients from strokes. These serious bleeding events have led to numerous cases of hospitalization and even death. Phone lines are open 24-7. Call 800-261-0937. That's 800-261-0937. Hi, it's Grant Cameron from PresidentialUFO.com. You're listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. He is searching for his inner gut to find more voices to use. (laughs) And eventually he'll actually find one that works. I'm just kidding. I didn't mean that. I really didn't mean that. Honest (laughs) engine. Didn't mean it. Didn't mean it. Not at all. All right, so we were talking about Trevor James Constable and his viewpoints about some UFOs being amoeba-like creatures large. Now, I know Ivan T. Sanderson, as you mentioned, did look into this as a serious possibility. Anyone else, or is he kind of one of these obscure characters in the UFO field with interesting theories, but they just really never gain serious traction? You know, unfortunately, I, I kind of view Constable as being the latter. Uh, when I spoke with him, and I'll never forget this, Gene, he, he, uh, he had a sort of a commanding presence. He had a certain way of speaking. Uh, you know, there was this, this roundness and almost a, a regal sound to his voice. And it, and it really kind of gave one the impression that this was a man who was, I mean, he was, the, the way that the regal sound carried over in his voice, I imagined him as being this sort of an aristocratic character, you know, with a scarf about his neck, you know, and lounging back and talking. He, he just had a very, you know, a very uh, interesting presence about him. Uh, and it was sad because I think that he, although he accepted it gracefully, he, he felt that, you know, his ideas had kind of fallen to the wayside over the years, especially with the proliferation of the ever-present extraterrestrial interpretation of UFOs. Now, again, I'll be clear in saying that I don't endorse Constable's theory any more than I endorse the idea of extraterrestrial visitation. I think maybe we could say that either could be a possibility, however remote they may seem. Uh, and and the reason I would even say that is because although, you know, I think Constable, again, kind of, he presented like very unusual looking photographs. I remember some of the pictures that were in the book, The Cosmic Pulse of Life of these purported critters, they looked to me very reminiscent of what uh, you know, paranormal enthusiasts today would call maybe orbs or something along those lines. 
um, it seemed that he was looking at the same sort of phenomena and interpreting it through, I guess, that ufological lens at that time. For me, while I wouldn't say that I literally think that there are these amoeba-like creatures coming down, you know, from the, the Super Sargasso Sea that uh, Charles Fort envisioned, and they're coming swooping down and stealing cattle and things like that, I think Trevor very literally may have actually thought that. But, you know, NASA did a, um, an interesting study uh, about uh, maybe five or six years ago. may have been earlier. And uh, you can still find this online. I should try and find it and link it in the Paracast forums. But um, this study had involved the idea of what some call energy zoa or you know, some sort of a plasma-based life that might spring to life from within the vacuum of space. And NASA had certainly in, uh, at least entertained the possibility that there may be energetic life forms, which are not life as we would expect it to manifest here on Earth, but that might exist in other reaches of space. And they, I've heard some anecdotal information about um, those involved with the space program, perhaps even astronauts, describing infrared anomalies that appeared to resemble, well, once again, amoeba-like, though much smaller than uh, Constable would have envisioned, but amoeba-like structures sometimes uh, visible only in the infrared. Now, again, I'd have to be able to find some supporting literature for that. You know, this is anecdotal information that was passed along to me a number of years ago by a colleague. Um, but uh, wh whatever the case may be, I do think that there have been some realistic interpretations and hypotheses presented by the space program, you know, by exobiologists and by others in the scientific community that at very least did bear, you know, marked similarity to Constable's theories. But, you know, again, I don't think that as he envisioned them, and especially as they related to a possible explanation for UFOs, I don't think that they were able to maintain their ground throughout the decades. And, you know, my discussion with him years ago was that of a man who I think was a little disenfranchised with uh, where his theories had fallen and how they'd more importantly fallen out of favor uh, with the passing of time. So in general, this guy was thought of as being a bit of a crank to most people. <laughs> of course, they think a lot worse of me, so don't take that in any way. Uh, well, I haven't seen that, but you know, I guess we all have our critics, don't we? <laughs> I shouldn't wish to say. Well, I will say this, though, that uh, to me, Trevor might have been seen as a crank. But again, I, I give him the credit of being a person who, to the best of his ability, he was trying to think outside of the typical UFO paradigm. And although it led him down a different path, uh, it was, again, in, in some ways, very similar to what John Keel had talked about. It was very similar to uh, some of the ideas even that have been proposed by Jacques Vallée. You know, is there something that is far more localized in terms of the UFO presence rather than being the extraterrestrial phenomena that many take it to be? And it is interesting because there are such a variety of interpretations. And I think that really where people like Constable may be uh, aired in their interpretation was that while they were, they were clever enough to say, you know, do we really have enough evidence that suggests E.T.? is what we're dealing with when we talk about UFOs. I think he had gone, as many researchers tend to do, he'd gone a little too far in one direction or another with regard to his own uh, hypotheticals, his own theorizing. And it's okay to theorize, but I'll tell you, Gene, I've gone to a few UFO uh, conferences here over the last couple of months, and uh, I'm, I'm a bit shocked, frankly, uh, when I attend these lectures, how some of the bigger names in the field uh, engage in this almost endless speculation and from speaker to speaker to speaker, it's always different from one person to the next. This person says the entire thing's E.T. and that it's a cover-up. This person thinks that these are E.T. time travelers from the future who are also symbiotic, you know, you know, or maintain symbiotic relationships with artificial intelligence, or they themselves are the artificial intelligence created by somebody long time ago in a, in a galaxy far away. 
you know, there's endless speculation about the UFO subject. Um, where my own personal interpretation, although I know we've been jump, you know, springboarding off the heels of discussion about Constable, but I, I think that it's important that, and this is where my own mind has tended to go more and more in the last couple of years, it's important to be able to recognize what we can say with certainty about UFOs. And unfortunately, the majority of what we read in books and we see in lectures these days is based on a lot of speculation. There may be some good evidence for something, but I think that you know what what we see is researchers will they'll find information, they'll follow lines of thought, they'll they'll find a new thread, they'll employ this possibility as a line of thought, and it really takes them off down into this realm of being so speculative that really, I mean, it starts sounding a lot more like fantasy than really what we know we're dealing with, which is merely one thing. If there are apparently objects seen in the sky, some of them appear to be intelligently controlled, some of them appear to be constructed objects or some sort of aircraft, structured objects as it were. You know, some people do still, although we have to point out to a, to a much lesser degree, I think, in the last few years than it once was decades ago, but to some significant degree, some people claim that there appears to be a presence associated with these craft, and some even claim to have had interactions with the operators. So make of it what you will, but really beyond that, I don't think that in terms of good, uh, undeniable evidence, we have very much more to deal with. And my skeptic friends and I, the ones who are skeptical enough, but also uh, open-minded enough to want to engage in discussions with people like myself, <laughs> I consider myself a skeptic too, Gene, uh, but we often discuss this sort of thing and say, really, how much hard evidence and what really kind of good verifiable proof do we have I think that's why UFOs remain so perplexing and maybe why there is so much speculation, whether it be critters in the sky or, you know, time travelers from the future or aliens, whatever, is that the lack of evidence has helped foment imagination. And with UFOs, we have to understand and differentiate between the good evidence and the imaginary components. There you go. All right, let's leave Trevor James Constable and what he did. I suppose this is a kind of theory that could be brought up again. But what about in general, in the UFO field? There's a feeling on the part of many of us that there aren't any great breakthroughs being made in research. I mean, we kind of are doing the same thing we did in the 50s, looking for spaceships, except for, you know, people who go into some more involved theories, such as from John Keel and, of course, from Trevor James Constable and that sort of thing. And we have about a 40 seconds before we have to split for our break. So I'm going to ask you briefly. You can start here, and I know you can never be brief. <laughs> briefly, then, my friend, do you think someone's contributing anything significant towards UFO research? I certainly think that there are a few people. You know, uh, Ray Stanford comes to mind. I think that some of the investigative research of guys like Nick Pope is also very worthwhile right now. But when we come back from the break, we can get into, I think, maybe... Uh, rather than those who are doing what maybe needs to be done in order to present a more scientific view of ufology for the future. All right, I'll go for that. Let's take a look and consider that further, but let me first consider this. We have another radio show that we do every week called After the Paracast. It's a show that has color commentary, kind of a wrap-up show. Sometimes we start an interview on the Paracast, we run out of time because it's a network radio show and you can't say, give me 10 more minutes. The time is the time we continue it in After the Paracast. And the only way to get that show is to sign up for the Paracast Plus. Go to plus.theparacast.com, plus.theparacast.com. We recently cut our long-term subscription rates, so sign up now before they go back up, plus.theparacast.com. 
We also offer the ad-free version of this show with higher quality audio. Chris O'Brien's on Walkabout with Gene and Micah. You're in the Paracast. Thank you for listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today. Attack of the Rockoids has been well-received by critics and readers alike. It's a -a thrill-a-minute story you'll never forget. A former U.S. military intelligence officer is haunted by intense dreams about a beautiful woman pleading for his help after a terrible battle in outer space. But the dreams turn out to be true and thrust him into a telepathic love affair with a woman whose faraway planet is intent on destroying the Earth. And now the gripping tale continues in The Coming of the Protectors. It's the second book of the Rockoids trilogy, a galaxy-spanning adventure that pits our hapless heroes against powerful, fanatical enemies that threaten the lives of freedom-loving beings everywhere. Attack of the Rockoids and The Coming of the Protectors, classic science fiction at its best, available now. For more details, visit rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. How would you like to make 17% on your money in only 90 days? That's right. Gold owners made 17% in only three months as gold had its best quarterly gain in 30 years. Gold is on the move, and you need to get government-issued legal tender gold coins starting at only $139 each. The U.S. Money Reserve, one of the largest gold distributors in the country, announces the first ever at-cost gold release on this station for only $139 each. one 866 G-O-L-D, or online at usmoneyreserve.com. Official U.S. government-issued legal tender solid gold coins at cost for only $139 each. Call 1-866-944-G-O-L-D. Ask for a free 55-page gold buyer's book. Plus, get a free walking liberty half dollar just for reading this must-have book all about gold. Remember, gold is on the move, up 17%. Call 1-866-944-G-O-L-D. Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. So, we continue our discussion with Micah Hanks, who is serving as guest and guest co-host this week, as Chris O'Brien's on Walkabout. So, you started in response to my question about the major contributions being made, particularly more recently in the UFO field. Where would you want to take that? Well, let's take it back a few decades. Today, it's not that there aren't researchers who uh, are really contributing a lot. And I think that there would be people, let's be very fair, because I think before we can be critical of others, we have to be critical of ourselves and understand our own uh, shortcomings. There are many days, and, and this has been happening a lot lately, where I've, despite all that I've tried to do uh, with my own uh, assessment of the phenomena, uh, my own urgings to the community that these are things that should have ch- to change in order to really be able to get back to brass tacks on how we're studying UFOs. Um, I still find, Gene, that I'll wake up and I'll say, is what I'm doing really worthwhile? Am I really doing anything? Do I, should I go to the National Archives like Stanton Friedman has done 
and start looking for new information? Should I start you know, following Freedom of Information Act requests like Nick Redfern does and try and find new information? I know that there are some researchers, including John Burroughs, who I spoke to recently uh, when we were at a conference together in Eureka Springs. He seems to be, I think, making some very interesting headway with the Freedom of Information Act requests. But I began to think about this, and this is, by the way, uh, no, no criticism of John, by the way, because we had a great conversation. Um, but what I do think that one of the fundamental issues that I've begun to see is when we talk about ufology, really the basic definition of what ufology is is an attempt at trying to study scientifically claims of unidentified flying objects and other aerial phenomena. And, uh, and I think that as we progress through time, uh, we, we've begun to see the uh, utilization of this similar but very different term, UAP, as opposed to UFO. And a friend of mine, Jason Bradley, one of my skeptic friends, uh, had recent, recently asked, he said, I don't have a problem with that, but I was just curious as to why I've seen you employing that term variously as opposed to UFO. Do you think that it brings more merit to the subject or something along those lines? And Frankly, I don't know that it brings any more merit. I merely think that UAP, unexplained aerial phenomena, as opposed to un- unidentified flying object, UAP seems to be, as many would say, a bit more inclusive of phenomena that may not be structured, mechanical, intelligently controlled objects. I think that there are a wide variety of aerial phenomena that constitute the broader collection of UFO reports that include earthquake lights and geophysical phenomena, um, atmospheric phenomena like ball lightning, uh, and there may be other things too. Uh, which a radiative phenomena that actually comes from someplace uh, far, far away, but nonetheless, which might present an illumination observable in the sky, uh, which our current knowledge does not completely account for. To give a brief example of what I mean, there are radiative bursts that sometimes are called sky flashes. And I'm not talking about these flashes that like lightning, but in the absence of thunder that light up the entire sky. I'm talking about on a clear night, points of light that suddenly appear and then disappear in the night sky. They aren't moving we're not talking about something like a, a satellite or a bit of space debris you know, fr- reflecting light. We're talking about a sudden radiative burst from someplace in deep space. I've actually uh, observed these on two occasions myself and became curious enough because of my background. I've got a lot of experience, Gene, as an amateur studying the night sky. Uh, guys like Phil Plate, who actually I like his writing as an astronomer, but in Astronomy Magazine a couple of years ago about how people who believe in UFOs don't look up. No, that's not true. I spend a lot of time... And every night that it's clear and the weather's favorable, outside in my backyard with a telescope if I can. When you spend a lot of time studying the sky, you do see a lot of interesting things. I've seen you know, satellites, uh, debris, the International Space Station at probably its very brightest. Of course, meteors and other things like this, iridium flares reflecting sometimes extremely bright light back at Earth. There are a variety of things that once you become accustomed to seeing, you can watch other videos like those of Stephen Greer and people who go out there, as I have jokingly said before, they sing Kumbaya and meditate and try and call UFOs. I've watched them film iridium flares. I've watched them film bioluminescent plankton at the ocean with infrared uh, cameras. I've watched them film all kinds of very easily explainable natural phenomena and call these UFO contacts. And it's quite laughable, very laughable, in fact. Now, that said, these radiative bursts that I've observed, I was curious enough with what I'd seen that I wanted to know, okay, well, what could this be? And I referred to the scientific literature. Specifically, I was able to find something in the collected data by William R. Corliss. And certainly enough, there was an article that had appeared in a science journal about these sky flashes that naked eye astronomers had described seeing, which interestingly, infrared equipment and telescopes had not seen, though they were pointed in the same general region of the sky. So there are... 
uh, you know, elements that that are present in the scientific literature that, and, and even science articles that are peer-reviewed that talk about this phenomena. So, as we can see, there are a lot of different things that may constitute natural phenomena that I think still fall into the category of weird lights and, and, and phenomena seen in the sky. So, UAP, I think, covers that basis a little better. But in the broader sense of things, I still find problems with when we're talking about what appear to be intelligently controlled um, structured objects. As far as UFOs, we've got a lot of issues. First of all, like we've addressed already, Gene, many modern researchers, they don't really seek to try and get down to the nitty-gritty details and understand what kind of things in the sky might constitute UFO reports. They Really, I think ufology, rather than being scientific study of this phenomena, has become more and more a political movement that seeks to try and garner information by uh, pressing government for details and pushing for this so-called disclosure. And this is very important because rather than scientific study of the phenomena, uh, the political movement with its over-reliance on government eventually releasing details about UFOs, actually, I think, Gene, may present uh, some dangers. I really well, do. I think it's a cop-out. I think <laughs> when you say, well, the government knows it, so that means, in effect, we don't have to do anything except, well, we assume they're spaceships. But since the government knows, just make them tell us. And we can go home and go to bed or whatever it is. You hit the nail on the head, my friend, as I knew you would, by the way. <laughs> so I've been hitting a lot of things in my head lately because I'm thinking I might knock some sense into myself. <laughs> I think you already have, though, Gene. Uh, and it seemed to have happened a long time ago. To say it every time I come on the show, and I'll, I'll say it at least once here, that this is one of the shows I enjoy listening to. One of the few podcasts that in the time that I have, I do try to tune into because of the kind of sense that you guys attempt to make of this in the serious discussions that are had. But that said, what you just pointed out, the cop-out as it relates to disclosure, even if it is well-intended, the problems that disclosure presents are as follows. And I can really narrow this down to two points. People may, in their effort to understand the phenomena and the social movements that have been built around the ideologies over time. In other words, when I, I cringe when I hear people say the UFO movement. we got to get people mobilized within this movement and get you know really – pressure our, our politicians and get them to release this information. Well, when we hear that, the problem is that, you know, yeah, there is a movement built around UFOs. And what is the predominant belief within that so-called movement that E.T. is visiting and that the government knows this and that they've maybe worked with them, Dwight Eisenhower went and met with them, and that this is being withheld by the government. Now, is there a shred of hard evidence, any decent proof that would, you know, again, satisfy a biologist, a physicist, a chemist that seems to substantiate that belief? No. If, let us presume, that is indeed a mythology that has been built around the broader study of some tangible phenomena which constitutes actual UFOs, if that belief ended up being unsubstantiated, but people's belief in it enough was great so that they would go to government and persistently request this information, if the data doesn't exist, we are wasting our time by asking for it. Conversely, let's presume that it is true. It's all true. Let's say that there was a, a saucer recovered from Roswell, New Mexico in 1947. Alien bodies were retrieved. They've been back engineering these things out there at Area 51. Let's say the whole thing, Bob Lazar, all these people, they're dead on. It's all true. And then let's say that this is indeed the greatest secret known to humankind, which is the very reason it is not known and it's kept from the public. Any level of disclosure that people might hope to attain through political uh, bodies, governing bodies, uh, you know, it is something that has not been released, and in likelihood in the United States probably wouldn't. And if we lobby to government 
you know, this so-called truth embargo that some people talk about. I'm just not convinced that if something of that magnitude existed, that we would necessarily obtain it through political action. So the, the shortcomings of disclosure are that if nothing exists, we're wasting our time. And we may, we may very well be wasting our time if something does exist because we can't give ourselves to this hopeful notion that it's just going to be released by government. So I say that either way you look at it, really, to me, there's a strong case to be made for independent civilian research that is scientifically minded that seeks to study UFOs. In connection with that, I'm going to ask you about the classification system for UFOs, which go back to the days of Dr. J. Allen Hynek, and maybe they need to be changed. Lots of things need to be changed, but what doesn't have to be changed is the fact that we have Micah Hanks with us of the Graylian Report. With Gene and Micah, you're in the Paracast. Do you need a website? Well, you can get a great deal on hosting services with Namecheap's legendary coupon code. They're offering substantial hosting discounts on shared hosting, business hosting, VPS hosting, reseller hosting, and even dedicated servers. Namecheap is preferred by millions. It's backed by a money-back guarantee. Use the coupon code LEGENDARY to cash in on the special deal at Namecheap.com, Namecheap.com. First came Attack of the Rockoids, and it was a critically acclaimed success. And now there is the coming of the Protectors. A former military intelligence man is contacted by a space woman in a dream. A dream that turns out to be a nightmare, because evil forces on our distant planet are planning to conquer the Earth. This is gripping science fiction of the classic kind. Attack of the Rockoids and the coming of the Protectors. Find out more at Rockoids.com. That's Rockoids, R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S, dot com. Today, how to incorporate your business in just 10 minutes so you won't lose everything if you get sued. Step 1. Stop putting it off. If you're not incorporated and someone sues your business tomorrow, it's not just your business at risk. You can lose everything. Your home, your car, even your life savings. Step 2. Call the following number for a free 10-minute incorporation guide from Incorporate.com. 1-800-941-5257. They don't provide legal or financial advice. They just make incorporating quick and easy. So you can incorporate or form an LLC in just 10 minutes. That number again is 1-800-941-5257. Step 3. Congratulate yourself. By taking just 10 minutes to incorporate your business or form an LLC, you protected your home, your car, and your life savings. And that is how you incorporate your business in just 10 minutes. But hurry while they're still giving away these 10-minute incorporation guides for free. Call 1-800-941-5257. That's 1-800-941-5257. Ted Anderson telling you about Jordan Rubin's Beyond Organic Green-Fed Raw Cheddar Artesian Cheese featuring whole milk created through ancient dairy breeding, unpasteurized, untreated whole milk on the same farm the cows graze, containing natural sources of omega-3s, CLA protein, calcium, probiotics, and enzymes. I have never tasted cheese this good, and you need to try it. Contact your Longevity distributor or call 877-878-4203 or go to GCNteam.com. This is it. For the first time ever on this station, U.S. government gold offered at cost for only $139 each. With Wall Street suffering its worst start to a trading year in history, now is especially the time to be paying attention to gold. This first time ever, U.S. legal tender government gold offered at cost for only $139 each is from the U.S. Money Reserve. Call them at 1-866-944-GOLD. Gold is on the move, so don't miss out. For the first time ever on this station, 
U.S. government gold offered at cost for only $139 each. 1-866-944-GOLD or online at usmoneyreserve.com. Ask for a free 55-page gold buyer's book. Plus, get a free Walking Liberty half dollar just for reading this must-have book. Get your free gold book, your free half dollar, but most importantly, get your gold at cost for only $139 per coin. 1-866-944-GOLD. So you've got to take a state construction license exam or certification. Can't decide on what books or what chapters to study? Discover right now how you can eliminate unnecessary books and wasted study time. At ContractorExam.com, our study materials zero in on state-required test topics in an effective, multiple-choice format. So whether you're a plumber, electrician, general contractor, or other construction-related trade, ContractorExam.com will help get you prepared. Visit us at www.ContractorExam.com today. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com. So, Micah Hanks, the classification system for UFOs. Tell us more. You know, when we talk about classification systems, for UFOs. Uh, I want to, first of all, go back to the literature and explain what we mean. You know, who is really making uh, headway with the UFO subject today? And the problem, I guess, we begin to see is really that although there are many people who are very knowledgeable and, and, and very intelligent in their investigations, the so-called scientific effort to study UFOs has gradually, over time, become one that involves more historical and investigative uh, work. And also, it is one that is very heavily politicized and has become, in the minds of some, a very political movement toward uh, obtaining information by lobbying to government. And I'm not criticizing those because some of the great work that has been done by people like uh, Stanton Friedman, groundbreaking work, in fact, and some of the, the data that he has retrieved from FOIA and the National Archives, it absolutely should not be overlooked. That said, though, what's interesting is when I was with Stanton, uh, he and I were in a car together uh, being taken to a conference back in February out in California. And it was one of the coolest and most surreal experiences of my life, Gene, because I never get to really just ha hang out one-on-one -on -one with Stanton like this. And we were uh, driving up through the, the hills. Our driver had asked if we'd like to stop and have lunch. And neither of us were really hungry, but the driver said, I'm starving. If you guys don't mind, let's, I got a great sandwich shop I want to take you to. It was February, but it felt like spring. It was just beautiful. And we stopped in Riverside, California, and Stanton and I are sitting there having pastrami sandwiches. And we had the best conversation. And I asked him, I said, Stanton, what do you think about Alan Hendry? Now, a lot of people today probably wouldn't even know who Alan Henry is. He's no longer really involved at all in UFO studies. Stanton had said, oh, you know, Henry and I, we had a lot of diff different opinions about things. And in my estimation, he was a little too skeptical. And Henry certainly was a skeptical-minded researcher. But he, in fact, actually, for a period of a couple of years, was the primary investigator with the Center for UFO Studies in Chicago, working under uh, J. Allen Hynek. And I bring him up here because, again, I think that as far as people who have really, rather than doing the, the lobbying and the political kind of work and the historical and the investigative work, Henry was out there calling people. He was calling and discussing observations made by witnesses to the, to the UFO, uh, Center for UFO Studies. He was calling airports. He was calling advertising plane companies. He was calling the National Weather Service. He was investigating possible explanations for things that were seen. And in the minority of reports, there were cases that could not be explained through prosaic phenomena. He wrote a book in 1979 called The UFO Handbook that even the arch 
debunker Philip Klass said was one of the most important books on UFOs ever written. And boy, let me tell you, it is. There are many copies on Amazon, but you can still buy it. And I bought one and recently told our good friend Greg Bishop that he needed to get one as well. It's one of the most fascinating books if you're really interested in studying UFOs through science that uh, could be read. And in the book, it was interesting because Hendry was discussing the initial classification system that Hynek had employed. This goes all the way back to the time that Hynek had been a science advisor to the U.S. Air Force with their Project Blue Book. Now, let's keep in mind that Hynek had said early on that he was a skeptic, and as time went on, he really began to think that there was just too much to this phenomena that, that it could be all explained through swamp gas and other prosaic phenomena. But his initial classification system, which he describes in the Hynek UFO report, and I think before that also in the UFO, the UFO phenomena, a scientific inquiry, he discusses this basic classification system that would help him group types of observations. The first were nocturnal lights, and then the second, which is the one I really began to have problems with, daylight disks. And Heineck himself would say, you know, a daylight disk was sometimes egg-shaped, spherical, tubular. Sometimes they were just, you know, amorphous blobs, but they were things that were seen in the daylight. In other words, they weren't all disks. And it seemed apparent to me that this daylight disk is, was really very well informed by the meme that goes all the way back to Kenneth Arnold, the idea of a flying saucer or a disk, when in fact, there are varying interpretations of what Arnold actually saw. He had described them as their locomotion was more like a disk skipping across water, but he didn't necessarily say that they were disk or saucer shaped. Not to say that there aren't certain UFO reports that don't actually involve disk or saucer shaped craft. The next tier of classification that Hynek talked about, of course, and Gene, I know you know all these, but you know, for those just as a recap in the listening audience, we had radar visual cases, uh, and then we had uh, the groupings of close encounter cases, which were the close encounter ones, a UFO observed interacting physically with, his, with its environment became the second close encounter grouping, and then the third close encounter grouping, CE3s, would be a UFO observed apparently with occupants or ent entities that might have been associated with that, that object. After Hynek died, there were other groupings that were introduced just as well. The CE4s, uh, which involve essentially physical transport of an individual between two locations as it relates to a UFO observation, which would indicate what appears to be an abduction. There's the fifth category, and this is where things get a little weird because there are differing interpretations of what a CE5, close encounter of the fifth kind, should be. The first interpretation had been uh, one that uh, Jacques Vallée had called for. He believed that a physical injury case where a person had been physically affected or injured or had had a mark left on them by an interaction with the UFO, this was a CE5. First of all, that a daylight disc isn't always a disc. And furthermore, we could say that, again, if a CE2, close encounter of the second kind, involves a UFO, which apparently affects the environment in some way, well, that might also involve individuals. And so that's very similar to Valet's interpretation of what a CE5 would be. You can start to see that these kind of spill over into one another. And I wonder sometimes if things hadn't gotten a little convoluted, the classification terminology didn't utilize the best terminology for the phenomena it attempted to describe. I'll say at this point, if people are interested in reading further about this, at my website, micahanks.com forward slash blog, you have an article there that is titled Toward a Better Ufology, Applying Science to the Study of UAP, where I actually break down a new classification system that we can get into as long as we're not getting too close to a break. Why don't you be brief about it, how this new classification system would differ from the old, and then we can expand upon it in the next segment. This is a new classification system. Rather than with all the close encounter cases, it really breaks things down into a six-point classification system that consolidates some of the old ones and also accounts for new phenomena 
as well as new technologies with a system of checks, as it were, a kind of filtration system. And the categories, very simply, are nocturnal luminous phenomena, daylight luminous phenomena, aerial craft or structured objects, objects corroborated with radar or other technology, which I'll cover in the next segment, objects that interact physically with individuals or the environment, and finally, objects accompanied by beings or apparent operators. We can talk more about it, though, in the next little portion. All right. We're going to try to figure this out, but we still have a little bit of time left. So why don't you continue? Go for another minute or so. The reason for the institution of of this new series is because I think that, as we, I think, can all agree, we have new technology, namely drones, which certainly can account for some observation of things seen in the sky. We also have new technology available at our disposal that I think help broaden the ways that UFOs can be studied. Hynek first instituted his classification system decades ago. It was still in use decades later. Uh, when the Center for UFO Studies was operating, when Alan Hendry was writing his book on UFOs. Today, there seems to be, apart from, again, civilian groups like MUFON and others that use their own kind of methods of inquiry, I haven't seen recently a very serious standardized kind of classification system on par with what Hynek used. So what I'm hoping to institute with this is a new system, a modernized system, and one that works a little more simply with science in mind as it applies to the study of UFOs. Okay, a new UFO classification system. After what was done in the 1970s with Dr. J. Allen Hynek and the people he worked with at the Center for UFO Studies. Chris O'Brien is on Walkabout. That's all I'll say. He's definitely out there. We have Micah Hanks of Graylian Report with Gene and Micah. You're in The Paracast. Thank you for listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today. No other network provides the level of customer service we do. When it comes to radio advertising, we are your one-stop shop. And no matter how big or small your business is, we can help. Email us at advertise at GCNlive.com and an experienced advertising executive will help you take the first step towards driving more customers to your business or website. Advertise at GCNlive.com. Easy, affordable, effective. Looking for that edge during those intimate moments? We see many ads for enhancement, but the side effects include death. At GCN Team, we should change the healthy body, brain, and heart pack to the healthy libido pack. The brain and heart are not the only organs that require a healthy vascular system. For proper blood flow at the right moment, go to GCNTeam.com or call 877-878-4203. That's 877-878-4203. That's 877-878-4203. Hi, Peter Vaccaro for ParanormalDate.com. Are you looking for love in all the wrong places? Now you have a chance to change that by signing up for free at ParanormalDate.com. This incredible dating site puts people of like minds together. People who are interested in the strange, the unusual, mysteries, ghosts, UFOs, and the afterlife, and so much more. ParanormalDate.com was developed for you. People seeking a viable alternative to the other dating services. You can join for free by going to ParanormalDate.com. And if you decide you like it and want to connect with people, use the code GEORGE for a substantial discount. Mark Rawlings, president of ParanormalDate.com, says so many people hunger to share their experiences about the paranormal, the unexplainable, or the afterlife, and so much more. And this is the source for them to meet and share that common interest. So sign up for free at ParanormalDate.com. ParanormalDate.com. 
and use the code GEORGE if you decide to connect with someone you like. Are you tired of commuting to a job that makes someone else rich? Working harder than ever, but getting nowhere? Do you hate spending hundreds of dollars every week on daycare? Having someone else raise your children? With our opportunities, you can start earning money as soon as next week. You get to be the boss, work from home, and live a happier life. At Be The Boss Network, you'll find hundreds of work-from-home opportunities that you can literally start today and be earning money as soon as next week. Go to freedom106.com and start earning money as soon as next week. You get to be the boss. Get out of the rat race. Work from home. Go to freedom106.com right now and change your life today. That's freedom, the number 106.com. Go to freedom106.com and start earning money as soon as next week. You be the boss. Go to freedom106.com. Extend your life with Extendovite, a seven-herb combination made from garlic, cayenne, bilberry, hawthorn, ginkgo biloba, valerian, and milk thistle. Each herb was chosen for their abilities to help improve irregular heartbeats, chest pain, lower cholesterol, as well as normalize blood pressure and clean and strengthen arteries, plus much, much more. Doctors have taken people off of some or all of their pills just because they believe their patients got better while taking Extendivite. Get the dependability of Extendivite. Just see how you feel in six months. A two-month supply of either capsules or liquid is only $69.95 plus shipping and handling. Call 1-877-928-8822. That's 1-877-928-8822 or visit heartdrop.com. Extend your life with Extend Overnight. This is Jacques Vallée, and you're listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. Okay, the classification system, the new one that you're proposing. Number one, and I don't know if you've been specific enough about this, what's wrong with the one we have? Well, the one that we have dealt with for a number of years, again, as I, the first point that I made about that was that, uh, you know, we have this designation of what are called daylight disks. That's what Heineck used to refer to any number of different kind of things that are seen in the daylight. Again, I think I would make a differentiation between what he called nocturnal lights and then any kind of a structured object that might be seen in the daylight, which, of course, as I've already pointed out, may not necessarily be disk shaped. Now, Heineck certainly knew that. And he certainly made a case for the fact that any number of things might fall under that categorization that he used, the daylight disks. And again, I think that that term that he used borrowed heavily from the flying saucer meme that emerged right after 1947 with the Arnold case. But the problem is, and this is another issue I think that we see, nocturnal lights would be any kind of an illumination that might be seen at night. But let's think about this for a moment. Let's say that you see a group of lights at night. Okay, and let's say that they're flying in an apparent triangular formation. Well, the lights that you see could be interpreted in one of two ways with the lacking uh, visibility that nighttime presents. Either these are three points of light that are attached to a larger object, or these are three independent objects that are traveling in formation. Now, one might assume that if daylight luminous phenomena were observed, 
that these phenomena might not be interpreted the same way that they would be at night. For instance, if you see these three points at night, you're not sure if they're attached to a larger object or flying in formation. But in the daylight, if they were attached to an object, presumably, and this is putting aside you know, theories about different kind of cloaking technologies and things that UFOs might use, there is some evidence for this in certain uh, literature about the subject. But again, if you see illuminations in the daylight, you're going to see, again, three points of light. If there's no apparent object between them, it becomes all the more clear that in the daylight, these illuminations, one observes, are flying in formation rather than being attached to a craft. Because if there were a craft in the daylight, you'd be able to see it. I hope that's clear. So the point is, is that I thought it would be interesting to make a distinction between luminous phenomena observed at night and in the daylight. And the, the reason for the distinction between the daylight luminous phenomena and what I would call structured objects is because, frankly, as we progress... Scientifically, we have learned an awful lot more about the different varieties of luminous phenomena that appear to be of natural origin, namely ball lightning type plasmas, earthquake lights, and things like this. So when luminous phenomena is observed and there's enough daylight to be able to distinguish it from being a part of some other object, I think that that is something that certainly has to be taken into consideration with UFO studies. So the first two tiers of a new classification system, as I was putting this together, involve the nocturnal luminous phenomena, as Heineck had first proposed. But then the second one, rather than daylight disks, is daylight luminous phenomena. And I think it's, again, important that we make those two distinctions. Then in the third designation I propose, we've got what we call the aerial craft or structured objects. And I'm careful to say aerial craft or structured objects because some of these may appear to be, you know, I don't know if you'd want to call them planes, but I think that there are a variety of things that, uh, you know, would look more like a man-made kind of a craft, which simply is unidentifiable. Kind of like, let's look at some classic literature that describes something similar. Ghost rockets, for instance. The early reports of these things seen over Scandinavia, they were likened very much to man-made technologies, but we didn't know where they came from. So we have aerial craft, and then there's also the idea that there's something that's extremely exotic that we might not so easily liken it to in terms of things that we know to exist, but it nonetheless appears to be something that is designed or, or constructed and maybe under intelligent control, hence these structured objects. Now, again, you can tell that with a structured object seen in the sky, you would probably you know, presume that this would be something seen in the daytime, but let's say that you see something that is obviously some sort of a material structure seen at night. Many people, when they describe, for instance, these large triangle-shaped UFOs, they describe rather than seeing the lights, they say that we were standing outside, it was just after dark, and what we saw was a physical shape moving through the sky that darkened the sky and obscured the stars, which would seem to be, what, now this is interesting, if no lights were present, there's no luminous phenomena associated with it, but a structured object was nonetheless implied, and, and thus we could see that a structured object could appear at night as well. When Hynek started talking about the um, radar visual cases, which were his third point on his classification system. You know, I think that it's important to point out, Gene, that with radar visuals, why would he have put such significance behind radar visual cases? Well, he was a science advisor to the U.S. Air Force at that time, and Hynek, of course, was investigating this for the Air Force, and skeptically so. The best cases uh, would be those which would utilize the best available technology that would help substantiate certain reports, and the best technology available at that time arguably was radar immediately after the war, of course, and with the Air Force in, and its involvement in UFO cases, you know, radar was going to be probably the chief technological means by which a sighting, a visual sighting, might be corroborated. But today we've got others. You know, in this era in which we all carry little 
smartphones around in our pocket with cameras on them. I mean, many people can use a smartphone not just to be able to capture video or a photograph, but they can also use things like Flight Radar 24, which is an app that lets you determine what kind of aircraft are in the sky uh, and where they are at any given time. Uh, you can use uh, you know photo programs to determine the time and place a photograph was taken. You've got uh, stargazing apps that help you distinguish various celestial phenomena. And most of them do a lot without really having to pay much for them. There's some great free stargazing apps. You've got satellite tracking apps like Sputnik. And I have a lot of these on my phone. And so the thing is, is I began to think that, gosh, you know, if people use them in the right way, hypothetically, you can use a smartphone like a little multifunction device for studying strange things that you might see in the sky and in likelihood discerning you know, those things which can be identifiable from those which truly might remain unidentifiable. So in the modern era, rather than just saying radar visuals, the fourth tier I describe is objects that can be corroborated with radar or maybe with satellite like global positioning, photographs, video, or other smartphone apps. And I would also add this to it, electromagnetic phenomena that can be observed using such things as an electromagnetic field detector or an RF detector going all the way back to Edward Ruppelt's report on unidentified flying objects from 1950. Well, I guess the original edition was 56. He had talked about, in one chapter, scientists that claimed that in conjunction with UFO sightings, there were variances in radiation, background radiation that could be discerned. So something like a Geiger counter or an electromagnetic field detective device should be able to help corroborate UFO reports just as well. So now that you've heard all that, let us have the final entry. <laughs> well, there are two actually. Objects that interact physically with individuals or the environment. And this is, again, a simple classification that deals with a lot of stuff, Gene. We're talking about objects that interact with, perhaps they'd leave ground markings. You know, Chris O'Brien, with a lot of his research with the cattle mute phenomena, certainly has involved uh, himself in instances where there are markings found on the ground near some of these carcasses. If it interacts with an individual, Again, a person says that the object flashes light at them. A person says they're moved by the object. A person says they're taken aboard a craft. You know, any of these kind of things. Animal disturbance would qualify, too. It's a very simple classification system that deals with a broad range of different phenomena. And part of the reason I consolidate those is because there are fewer reports these days that seem to involve these kind of things where people interact with a UFO or they are, you know, capable of getting close to a grounded one. You, you, and I don't know why, but Nick Redfern's talked about this as well. And I've found a number of articles online. There seem to be a marked decline in these kind of close encounter type cases. And then the final is objects accompanied by beings or apparent operators, because however few they may be today, some people do still report this kind of thing. But I think that this simplification of the classification system helps to look at this phenomena in the modern era with respect to the new technology, both present in the skies and that which we have available to us to try and study it. Okay, I'm going to ask you about this and let's continue our next segment because. Certainly, these topics have come up in questions from listeners, and that is, we're not having these real close encounters like the CE3 or whatever you want to call it. Why is that? Why do we not have these close-up sightings as we did a while back? Some people say, you know what? For the most part, the UFO phenomenon no longer occurs, and that if you put things together, you can take all those sightings, those distant sightings of UFOs, and they probably have conventional explanations, in which case there is no longer a UFO mystery. This is a very skeptical question because I've expanded upon the lack of the close encounters. So let's continue with that. We have Micah Hanks, and he's from the Graylian Report. Chris O'Brien's on Walkabout. With Gene and Micah, you're in the Paracast. 
Graphic Converter is the image manipulation tool for the rest of us. It does not use any database. You get full control of all your files. Want to view the images of a folder? Drag it into Graphic Converter and a powerful browser opens up to show your image files. You could use it for slideshows. You could use it to import images from digital cameras or from scanners. Need to do some image editing? You can do that too in Graphic Converter. Also print catalogs. Convert from so many formats, I can't even list them. Download now to see if Graphic Converter is good for you, like one and a half million other users. Guess what? You could save money when you buy Graphic Converter. Use the coupon code NIGHTOWL. Use the coupon code NIGHTOWL to get a special price for Graphic Converter. Go to LemkeSoft.com. That's L-E-M-K-E-Soft.com. LemkeSoft.com. L-E-M-K-E-Soft.com. This is Dan Pillett. Do you owe the IRS money you can't pay? Are tax debts crippling you? I've defended people from the IRS for over 30 years. I've helped thousands and I can help you too. I wrote the book on IRS settlement and I'm telling you, there's no such thing as a hopeless case. Call 800-34-NO-TAX to finally get free of IRS debt. With the IRS's new programs, there's never been a better time to solve your problem. Call 800-34-NO-TAX. That's 800-34-NO-TAX or my website, danpilla.com. There's nothing more enticing and intoxicating than the finest meat cooking on an open flame. Freeze-dried meat from NewHarvest.com is U.S. grown, 100% all-natural with no extra fillers. Just grass-fed beef and free-range chicken guaranteed to stay fresh and delicious. Add New Harvest freeze-dried meats to your current food storage. You'll buy direct from the factory, not a third party, ensuring the best price and the highest quality. See all our products at NewHarvestFoods.com. That's N-U-HarvestFoods.com. Paid non-attorney spokesperson Adam Pulaski of the Pulaski Law Firm with principal office in Houston, Texas is the attorney responsible for the content of this ad. This ad is not legal advice and the choice of a lawyer should not be based solely upon advertisement. Services may not be available in all states. Attention Zarelto users. If you or a loved one took Zarelto and suffered a serious bleeding event, you may be entitled to financial compensation. Zarelto is a popular prescription blood thinner used to prevent blood clots and protect patients from strokes. These serious bleeding events have led to numerous cases of hospitalization and even death. Phone lines are open 24-7. Call 800-261-0937. That's 800-261-0937. Are you worried about your mom or dad living alone in their house? Hi, I'm Joan London. Listen, I know how difficult it is to find senior care for someone you love. That's why I recommend a free service called A Place for Mom. They are the nation's largest senior living referral service. Call A Place for Mom today. To receive free information on senior living communities in your area, call A Place for Mom at 1-800-704-6182. A Place for Mom offers free, one-on-one advice from local advisors and a personalized list of senior living communities you can visit. If you have questions about senior care for your mom or dad, there's a place for answers, a place for mom. Call A Place for Mom in the next 10 minutes to get your free ebook on financing senior care as well as free information on senior living communities in your area. Call 1-800-704-6182. That's 1-800-704-6182. 
Worried about lead, fluoride, and other contaminants in your drinking water? Get a ProPure with the Pro 1G 2.0 cleanable reusable filter and remove up to 200 contaminants. Drink water the way nature meant it to be. Clean, crisp, and refreshing. See the complete line of ProPure products, including the new ProMax shower filter. There's a ProPure for you. Visit your authorized ProPure dealer for details or ProPureUSA.com. That's P-R-O-P-U-R-U-S-A.com or 800-544-3533. Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. So as we progress towards the two-thirds mark of this show, with Micah Hanks of the Graylian Report, I'm going to ask that question again. So if we're having less, fewer of these close encounters... Why is that? And does that indicate possibly that all the other sightings might have conventional explanations that the UFO phenomenon has left us? You know, it's maybe one of the most important questions that can be asked today. And I I realize, by the way, that, you know, Gene, you know, we're we're being very skeptical. And frankly, I'm sure in this last segment where we were giving all these rapid fire breakdowns of, well, this is why we've changed this. And this is why I've instituted what I call a new classification system, a stripped down new approach. I realize some people's eyes are probably glazing over and they're falling asleep because this, these aren't these meaty, juicy, tantalizing stories of contact with aliens and landed craft. This is the kind of thing that people like to hear. But if we're really seriously trying to study UFOs and we're not just trying to be storytellers around a campfire, sometimes we have to break away from those juicy stories. But sometimes we have to step away from you know, the literature that seeks to entertain and thrill rather than really understand. And that's what we are trying to do here. And so for the serious-minded UFO enthusiast or podcast listener, for that matter, that's what we're trying to break down right now. And so I'll make no apologies for, at times, having to get really detailed with the scientific interpretation. Now, coming back to your question, because this is exactly what we're talking about, you know, a study in which these kind of juicy reports are lacking because in the culture present today, there are fewer of them. And I think maybe it's time that we do look at things scientifically. But why do we see less today? Why are there you know, fewer cases that involve landed craft that people approach and suddenly they've been burned after you know, a gust of heat is blasted out of this thing as the door shuts and it takes off into the sky? Why are fewer people you know, lifted off the ground and knocked out and found aboard a craft in which they're surrounded by strange human-esque beings? Why do we have fewer of these kind of cases? Why do, why do we have fewer people who are coming forward with nighttime encounters saying, yeah, I too have been one of the abducted. What is changing? It's interesting. We could look at it in a number of ways. Let's first look at it in terms of an extraterrestrial phenomena, because I think it's fair to do that. Whether or not I endorse that idea, I'm open to that possibility, as many, I think, skeptically-minded UFO researchers would be. If we have good evidence that is forthcoming, I'm happy to say, okay, if that's the most likely interpretation, ET it is. But the thing is, is that I think that um, if we were to deal with an ET phenomena, and let's say that immediately after the Second World War, they'd been here all along as valet and and uh, many of the modern ancient alien theorists have even uh, argued, maybe after the Second World War and our our humankind's entry into the nuclear era, it really was a beacon, and it really garners their attention. They come down, they say, okay, now these guys, the kid gloves are off. You know, now they're playing for keeps. So they, they come to Earth. Maybe there's not just one group. Maybe there's not just one civilization. Let's say that, and this is a hypothetical, so follow me here. Let's say they are 
descending on Earth, the Intergalactic Federation, you know, people from, you know, from all different parts of the galaxy are coming here. People, I say, but aliens and sent, you know, they're coming down. They're taking soil samples. They're, you know, taking people. They're examining things. They're checking out our, you know, weapons installations. They're checking out our nuclear plants. And they spend several decades involved in various different kinds of, of investigative work here on Earth. And they make their assessment and the different uh, nations in the United Nations of Alien Civilization. Of know. course, we call that the Federation. Yes. <laughs> in this hypothetical structure we do, yeah. And as they go back and they all file their reports and the different nations compare and they do exactly what we here on Earth essentially do with our international politics, they present their reports and they say, well, our best assessment is that these people aren't really close enough yet to getting off their mud ball and bringing these dangers to us that we should worry yet. And so we'll leave them alone for a while. And there's been a marked decrease. And over the last few years, we see fewer instances of abductions and encounters and interactions because maybe, well, there's been less interest by the so-called operators of these UFO craft. Now, I know that sounds like something out of a sci-fi movie, and I intend it to be, because maybe that, for all we know, is what's actually going on. And when I've heard people like Valet in the past argue that uh, there's far more going on with UFO phenomena to account for a scientific investigation being carried out by an alien species, I say, well, which alien species and how many? If these were extraterrestrial aliens, who is to say it was all just one that was carrying out these activities on Earth? You know, if there were multiple different ET groups that had been doing this kind of thing, I mean, sure, the body of UFO literature, especially that was collected between the 50s, 60s, and 70s, might account for that scientific investigation. And who are we to say, with our own anthropomorphization, I guess, of the phenomena, that we would understand the motives and the necessities of alien science, you know? So I'm not trying to debunk Valet, but I am trying to say that I think that we need to be very careful that we haven't allowed ourselves to project our own expectations of science onto an alien species. Now, coming back to the anti-ET argument, though, I mean, really, despite all the conjecture I've just presented, there is really no good evidence that ET is at the at the uh, source of all this phenomena. It could be any number of things in equal measure based on the scant data that we have before us. So let's look at it as a sociocultural thing, Gene. I mean... If it's something that culturally is changing, I have to point out initially what comes to mind is that as UFO sightings and uh, contactee and abductee reports seem to diminish with time, uh, there seems to be an inverse proportionality that appears with the growth in our technology. And as we become more technologically advanced, and as um, perhaps in an insidious way, the advancement of technology works steadily more into our lives with Wi-Fi, smartphones, GPS, I mean, surveillance, all of these kind of things as we are ever more trending toward a technologically proficient society and it immerses itself in our lives and culture, we do see a marked decline in UFOs proportionally. So could it be that technology and our own intelligence as it relates to technological growth, are these things affecting interest in and perception of UFOs? You know, there are any number of ways it might be interpreted, but I think that the point is, is that one has to note that it certainly has changed. We don't have the kind of hairy dwarf reports that were once present in the APRO journals and things. And it's really perplexing to me. Well, this, of course, is a serious question with regard to the UFO mystery. Has E.T. left us? But that presupposes there is an E.T. and that E.T. actually came here to perform some kind of scientific research. Right. It, It may just be that our culture has moved on and we expect different things now. Yes. Yeah, that is certainly, I think, something that's worthy of, 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 you know, considering I mean, has the entire UFO meme. See, I don't doubt that there's a phenomena. 
And uh, I saw one of the the bloggers a while back saying, it's time that we go ahead and we just... We just accept that valet was wrong. You know, valet has said, what if there's a control mechanism? What if there's something that is, you know, even on a subversive level, uh, subconsciously controlling and changing and maybe even causing sort of a conscious evolution? You know, we just have to accept that valet was wrong. And I remember reading that blog and saying, ah, but is that really accurate? I would say that really with or without an actual UFO phenomena. Let's say the entire thing can be chalked up to misidentification of prosaic phenomena. Um, if that were the case, the concept of alien life and UFOs have nonetheless had an incredible effect on our uh, culture and I think the development of our psyche. I mean, I would argue that you know the idea of beings traveling here from other star systems has been the number one propellant force behind engineering that has gotten us to the moon and which eventually will carry us to other planets and further out into the stars. You know, I mean, I think that every person who has ever been involved in engineering as it relates to the space program or with the independent space programs like SpaceX, you know, and Elon Musk and, and others, ever more we are seeing that as we perfect technologies that will carry us further out into the cosmos, these people had to have at some point come across the idea or the notion that there are other civilizations that are doing it out there. And it, it, what we see is that rather than just, you know, kicking around, you know, sticks and stones at one another and building fires, you know, as our ancient ancestors did, uh, our imaginations fuel the engineering innova- uh, innovations of tomorrow. And one could argue that the UFO culture and belief in it and literature associated with it has in many ways influenced our technological growth as a civilization here on Earth. So I think that really Valet really, in a sense, was spot on in the sense that with or without there being a phenomena, it certainly has, in a way, helped steer our development and our interests, and it is still doing so today. Flying saucers are here to make us think, as I've said for many years. So, having made us think about the possibility of life in outer space, they've done their deed. We are now discovering the possible presence of extrasolar planets, possible life-bearing planets, We're still moving along in the space program. In fact, Elon Musk of SpaceX is saying he plans to send an unmanned rocket ship to Mars in 2018, far ahead of NASA's plans. And where does that take us next? Well, to the possibility of if we can send the spaceship there and it succeeds, what about sending humans to Mars by 2020, which is quite a bit faster than what NASA is talking about in a very disappointing estimate of the 2030s. More to come with Micah Hanks and Gene Steinberg. You're in The Paracast. Thank you for listening to GCN. Be sure to visit GCNlive.com today first game attack of the rockoids and it was a critically acclaimed success and now there's the coming of the protectors a former military intelligence man is contacted by a space woman in a dream a dream that turns out to be a nightmare because evil forces on our distant planet are planning to conquer the earth this is gripping science fiction of the classic kind attack of the rockoids and the coming of the protectors find out more at rockoids.com that's rockoids r-o-c-k-o-i-d-s dot com As you know, neighbors, web hosting can be pretty cheap, but not all hosting is the same. 
DreamHost wins best of awards year after year. You get unlimited disk space, unlimited bandwidth, and even the low-cost plans put your sites on high-performance SSDs. Want to know more about what DreamHost has to offer? Go to technightowl.com slash host. Once again, that's technightowl.com slash host. I'm Nick Soboleski, a select quote agent with a true story that could save you hundreds of dollars a year. A woman named Linda just called. Her husband, Ray, has a $300,000 group life insurance policy, but is changing jobs and can't take it with him. Well, I impartially shot the highly rated term life insurance companies we represent and found Ray, who is 41 and takes medication to control his cholesterol, a 10-year, $500,000 policy for under $26 a month. That's almost twice the coverage for less than half of what he had paid. If SelectQuote hasn't shopped for your life insurance, you're probably paying too much. For your free quote, call 1-800-403-4885. That's 1-800-403-4885. 1-800-403-4885. Or go to SelectQuote.com. We shop. You save. Get full details on the example policy at slowquote.com slash commercials. Your price could vary depending on your health issuing company and other factors. Not available in all... Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. You see, ladies and gentlemen, as I do, he can create all sorts of strange special effects using these little buttons on our mixer. Is that what you're doing? Oh, no, that's all natural. I can just do it with my vocal cords, you know, because my zeta reticulin biology is conducive to such things. Now, you're a reptilian, right, Gene? Uh, I resemble that remark. <laughs> there, you just answered it for me. Thank you. <laughs> I am not a reptilian. I cannot say what I am or what I am not because I do not presume to get into that. Mm-hmm. Now, the other possibility here, and this takes us to another crazy realm, is that UFOs are not from outer space. They are not some kind of psychic phenomenon that we perceive on a subconscious level and we adapt to being UFOs or whatever the cultural meme is at the time. That there are other civilizations, people, human beings, or intelligent beings sharing our planet. Secret civilizations. What do you think? It's uh, you know an interesting concept. I mean, um, we obviously see and, – and by the way, actually, I came across an interesting UFO book the other day that looked at some of these beliefs, namely as it uh, relates to the so-called Shaver mystery, which we'll revisit here in a moment. But I'm someone who has so many books in my collection that sometimes I forget or don't even fully know what books I own. And I was pouring over some in my bookshelf the other day and found a book by Donald Menzel, who had really been before class one of the arch UFO skeptics of his day – and nonetheless, who also had an affinity for sitting around doodling uh, various kinds of alien life forms. So, uh, pretty interesting little uh, anecdote. But in this book that he'd written on uh, flying saucers back in the old days, uh, Menzel had addressed the Shaver mystery. And there are a lot of different beliefs about uh, what you might call, and what Mactonis, the late Mactonis, had called crypto-terrestrial civilizations. Let me just tell everybody, a lot of our listeners know, maybe those who are new to the show don't. 
that in the 60s and 70s, until his death, I knew Richard Shaver. One time I even visited him at his cottage in Arkansas. Wow. Okay, I knew Palmer. I knew Shaver. So isn't that weird? Anyway, tell us, what did Donald Menzel, a Harvard astronomer, by the way, say about Richard Shaver? Well, he, of course, I think, broke it down and uh, you know made the case that Shaver was probably hallucinating or building off of hallucinations or was purely just being imaginative. And I don't think that that's an unfair assessment. Um, as a brief anecdote about Menzel, it had never been um, apparent to me that there was information that isn't very well publicly discussed about Menzel. But in fact, uh, behind the scenes, there seems to be quite a bit of legitimate uh, information about him. And that is the fact that he held uh, numerous top secret clearances over the years. Uh, Stanton Friedman had been the one who pointed it out to me. And uh, and I said, now, Stanton, I'd never heard that. And he says, well, you need to read my book. And so while we Oh, have- boy, we now have an imitation of Stanton Friedman. <laughs> Yes, and it's meant lovingly, by the way. He's a great guy. But uh, so he uh, he was standing there with me in California, and um, we had a, a lengthy talk about this. But I grabbed a copy of uh, a number of his books, and in his book, Top Secret Magic, whatever one seems to think about MJ twelve, you know. I, I, and I'll tell you this too, Gene. Interestingly, while uh, Stanton is always cited as being uh, one of the, the staunchest defenders of MJ twelve, and he has. Uh, when we were at uh, lunch together in Riverside, California, I'd said, but come on, some of these documents, you got to know, Stanton. I mean, you, you've got to admit they, they, they're probably uh, fabricated. And he says, oh, of course they are. They're, of course, some of them are fake, but not all of the information in the MJ-12 documents is fake. So, And one important point he makes is that, uh, indeed, uh, through his own records um, and documents that he recovered partially through the National Archives, Stanton did find mention of the fact that um, – Menzel had held top secret clearance, which in Stanton's mind substantiates the idea that he could have been a part of the so-called MJ-12 group. Now, we won't go down that rabbit hole right now. I'm merely pointing out that it's interesting that in other literature, that fact I've noticed isn't just downplayed. It's often completely glossed over or not mentioned at all that Menzel had held a clearance. And so this fellow, yes, he had also been a quite the UFO skeptic back in his day. As far as the Shaver mystery and what he said about that, of course, he downplayed the idea. But I bring it all up here because... Shaver, I think, was the first who tried to propose that there was some sort of an earthly presence. And in the mind of Ray Palmer, the publisher of Amazing Stories and who went on to found fate, but then it was handed over pretty promptly, I think, to Curtis Fuller. He and Curtis Fuller both founded Fate magazine. Palmer, in the early days, ran it under the pseudonym Robert N. Webster. And because both he and Curtis Fuller were employed by Ziff Davis, they didn't want it to get out that they had this other magazine going, because I can certainly see it might violate an employment agreement or something like that. So that's the reason. But they both control the product. However, later on, Palmer withdrew his participation. Do you know why, Gene, why Palmer got out, by the way? Well, I think he really wanted to go off and do his own thing, which is essentially what he ended up doing. I mean, it's more complicated than that. And if you want to know their are several books out there. There's two books recently about Palmer and Shaver. And I know that we had Richard Toronto on the Paracast a few years ago where he was talking about the book. And if you look up Richard Toronto's name when you do a search of the Paracast site at www.theparacast.com and you search Toronto, you'll find out that Richard Toronto was on July 7th, 2013, 
And the book was called War Over Lemuria, Richard Shaver, Ray Palmer, and the Strangest Chapter of 1940s Science Fiction. Okay? So that's where we kind of explain it all. It's very complicated there. And, you know, as a matter of fact, Palmer was a very unusual person. As I said, I knew him, and he made a lot of interesting arguments. One flying saucers are here to make us think. He talked about UFOs in the inner Earth. And we're talking about secret civilizations, and we'll focus more on that in a moment, that you can get to through the hole at the North and South Poles. But that, in also a sense, is repeating the Pellucidor novels from Edgar Rice Burroughs of the early part of the 20th century. Okay, that's how they did with a balloon going, or an airship or a dirigible going through the hole to the center of the Earth from this hole at the North and South Poles. Then Palmer suggested they weren't physical holes. They were in the astral realm, like you were going into another reality, a second reality, to go to the inner Earth. It wasn't physically there. And then I remember meeting for the first time a very famous science fiction writer and a comic book writer, Otto Bender. Do you remember who he was? You know, the name is extremely familiar. No, uh, no relation to Albert Bender, right? No, Bender, B-I-N-D-E-R. Oh, okay. Not Bender. Okay, Otto Bender, in the 1940s, he worked on Captain America with Stan Lee. Okay. All right. He wrote the Captain Marvel Shazam stories. And in 1959, he was one of the creators of Supergirl. So I mentioned this to listeners before when the Supergirl TV show debuted. In the first episode, Supergirl saves a plane and causes some damage to a suspension bridge. The bridge was named the Otto Bender Bridge. And for no other reason that Otto Bender was one of the creators of Supergirl. Okay, so I met Otto Bender knowing he was a friend of Ray Palmer because he founded a magazine called Space World that Palmer took over. And I asked him about Palmer. What do you think? And he said basically Palmer would simply write crazy theories just to get readers to react and write letters to the editor. He did it at Amazing Stories. He did it for his own magazines, Flying Saucers and Search. That this was just a way to start a debate. He didn't necessarily believe it. So that's the theory about Palmer. Now, that's actually really interesting. There was that uh, appearance that he did, maybe one of a few, I don't know, uh, but I know that there's one still available online in which he appeared on the Long John Neville radio program. In that, and I may have mentioned this before, and I'm sure you're aware, aware of it as well, Gene, but um, for those out there in listening land who have never heard this, Palmer, when he went on Long John Nebel's radio show, was asked about uh, Georgia Damskin. He said, look, I've got to tell you, uh, the book that became, I guess, uh, it was, was it Flying Saucers Have Landed? Right. We'll give you the answer. The answer about Ray Palmer's appearance on the Long John Nebel radio show in our next segment with Micah Hanks of the Graylian Report. With Gene and Micah, you're in the Paracast. If you're fascinated by UFOs, ancient aliens, archaeological mysteries, ghost hunting, Atlantis, and any other paranormal topic as we are, be sure to check out APMagazine.info each month. Since 1985, it has presented the latest research by top researchers like Andrew Collins, Brad Steiger, and many others, and contains interviews with such leading personalities as Jacques Vallée. Check, click on one of their banners and check out APMagazine.info. 
As you know, neighbors, web hosting can be pretty cheap, but not all hosting is the same. DreamHost wins best of awards year after year. You get unlimited disk space, unlimited bandwidth, and even the low-cost plans put your sites on high-performance SSDs. Want to know more about what DreamHost has to offer? Go to technightowl.com slash host. Once again, that's technightowl.com slash host. When I was 15 and a half years of age, I had two large mercury fillings put into my teeth. I got very sick that day, and over time, the mercury exposure damaged my body. My sunny disposition turned to depression and low energy. Many years later, I understood what had happened, and in 1991, I replaced these mercury fillings with white composite. In 1997, I learned that the homeopathic mercury detox I did years earlier did not remove the mercury from my body. I began an effective means of removing mercury from my body. My digestion and elimination returned to normal, and I began to have my life back. From 1999 to 2005, I tested the level of mercury in my body, and each test showed my mercury burden was high. After five years on One World Way, I recently did another mercury test. The results showed my body is free of mercury and virtually all toxic metals. One World Way is very powerful for detoxification support. It has helped many, and it may help you. Call 888-988-3325 or visit OneWorldWay.com. That's OneWorldWhey.com. Paid non-attorney spokesperson Adam Pulaski of the Pulaski Law Firm with principal office in Houston, Texas is the attorney responsible for the content of this ad. This ad is not legal advice and the choice of a lawyer should not be based solely upon advertisement. Services may not be available in all states. Attention Zarelto users. If you or a loved one took Zarelto and suffered a serious bleeding event, you may be entitled to financial compensation. Zarelto is a popular prescription blood thinner used to prevent blood clots and protect patients from strokes. These serious bleeding events have led to numerous cases of hospitalization and even death. Phone lines are open 24-7. Call 800-261-0937. That's 800-261-0937. Are you worried about your mom or dad living alone in their house? Hi, I'm Joan London. Listen, I know how difficult it is to find senior care for someone you love. That's why I recommend a free service called A Place for Mom. They are the nation's largest senior living referral service. Call A Place for Mom today. To receive free information on senior living communities in your area, call A Place for Mom at 1-800-704-6182. A Place for Mom offers free, one-on-one advice from local advisors and a personalized list of senior living communities you can visit. If you have questions about senior care for your mom or dad, there's a place for answers, a place for mom. Call A Place for Mom in the next 10 minutes to get your free ebook on financing senior care as well as free information on senior living communities in your area. Call 1-800-704-6182. That's 1-800-704-6182. This is Dan Pilla. Do you owe the IRS money you can't pay? Are tax debts crippling you? I've defended people from the IRS for over 30 years. I've helped thousands and I can help you too. I wrote the book on IRS settlement and I'm telling you, there's no such thing as a hopeless case. Call 800-34-NO-TAX to finally get free of IRS debt. With the IRS's new programs, there's never been a better time to solve your problem. Call 800-34-NO-TAX. That's 800-34-NO-TAX or my website, danpilla.com. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com. So let's talk about that. Background. Ray Palmer's a guest. 
on Long John Nebel, Long John Nebel being the famous talk show host of the 50s, 60s, and 70s, who pioneered all-night paranormal radio before there was ever a coast-to-coast AM with Art Bell. Long John did it first, okay? Now, Palmer is interviewed by phone from his home in Amherst, Wisconsin. And he mentions, with regard to George Adamski, who wrote the book Flying Saucers Have Landed, about something else Adamski did some years earlier. Tell us more, Micah. Yeah, uh, when Ray Palmer had been working for Amazing Stories, I believe is when he first received a manuscript in which uh, there was a spacecraft piloted by, I believe, Jesus Christ, came to Earth and uh, was... You know, it was it was very reminiscent of the sort of contactee literature that would appear years later. The author of this manuscript had been none other than one uh, George Adamski, Ray Palmer, again, who uh, apparently a person who, through if not his actual beliefs or theories, nonetheless for interesting and uh, spirited debate, would put out these unique theories about what UFOs may be and whether they were crypto-terrestrial civilizations, which was kind of, I guess, in that era, Palmer was kind of one of the leading proponents of this idea. Uh, in, in a moment of noted skepticism for Palmer, on Nebel's radio program, he said, I've got to tell you, though, the same story was repackaged by Adamski a few years later. Flying Saucers have Landed was that was co-authored with Desmond Leslie. He said that in the new book, of course, it wasn't Jesus in a spaceship. It was a flying saucer and Orthon was the occupant. So Palmer was convinced that Adamski was just an out-and-out liar who changed his stories to try and match the popular belief uh, associated with UFOs that would soon follow Kenneth Arnold's encounter with alleged flying saucers over Mount Rainier. Now, Edward Ruppelt thought Adamski was an out-and-out con man. But you know, there's still a George Adamski Foundation out there. And I heard from someone who represented that place, and they wanted me to interview, I guess, one of the big muckety-mucks at this organization. So I said, you know what? Aren't you aware that Adamski was exposed Many, many years ago, and I mentioned as one example, Jim Mosley had a special edition of the Saucer News magazine where he had the Adamski expose issue. But to add to that, that's been reprinted, by the way. We do have it online at jimmosley.com. That's a site that I run off my server, and Kurt Collins, a fairly regular guest on the show, manages. Now, the other thing here is that Adamski had also said, quoted in this Adamski expose issue that sometimes you have to go through the back store to get the truth across. So in writing this manuscript where he met Jesus Christ in a spaceship, he was spreading a message of peace and brotherhood. And then in order to deal with the cultural meme about UFOs in the early 50s, he had that same message expressed by Orthon, the silver-suited E.T. he met. Now, by the way, Michael Rennie in the movie Day the Earth Stood Still wore a silvery suit, but he didn't have long hair. He had normal length hair. But you can see where Day the Earth Stood Still influenced the early contactees, too. Yeah. You know what is kind of funny, Gene, is that with those early contactee cases, you see a thread which I know Joseph Farrell and a few others have talked about, which is the fact that uh, many of the reported contactees reported that the entities that they encountered were, first of all, very human-like. They weren't exotic-looking alien creatures. And second of all, many of them, in addition to having uh, telepathic powers, uh, were often blonde hair and blue-eyed, the epitome of their gender, to borrow the terminology that later would be used by Travis Walton during his uh, abduction experience, because he described very similar beings. We find in the famous Friendship Island case from off the coast of Chiloé Island in the 1980s, off the southern coast of Chile, and again, this is well-known, perhaps one of the most well-known UFO cases in Latin America 
of the last few decades. And strangely, in, in I think North America and parts of uh, Europe, uh, it's very less well known. I've sat down with many extremely knowledgeable UFO researchers. When I bring up Friendship Island, they say, you mean the Italian case from the 1950s? Well, this was used a similar name for this case from the 80s. But what uh, had been described during a lot of these purported contacts with the denizens of the Friendship Island, which, very long story short, it was believed to be some sort of an island with some sort of an operation. Theories about it range from being an alien base on Earth to being some sort of an Area 51 kind of operation. Uh, one theory holds that it was a joint cooperative kind of effort between Germans, post-World War II Nazis maybe that escaped, and also the U.S. Air Force. Any number of different interpretations of what might have been going on out there. But uh, Ernesto de la Fuente, I think, was the first guy who claimed to have had these encounters with the Holy Brothers of Friendship Island. Again, tall, blonde-haired guys, blue eyes, and that they all look so similar they could just literally be brothers. So it's just kind of interesting that throughout the years, it wasn't just Adamski, but there have been many who have described having these encounters with these almost angelic-like human-type creatures which claim to be aliens. Variously, those from Friendship Island made similar claims that they were either angels of the Lord or actually from outer space themselves. Well, I don't want to get into the racial aspect, but they tend to be white Nordic types. Mm -hmm. They're not Hispanics. They're not black. They're not Asian. Just saying. Yeah, and that is important, uh, you know, like you said, without having to really go down that rabbit hole. Because unfortunately, interpretations of the apparent presence of, of these or the consistency of the interpretation of these so-called Nordic aliens, I think it has been a point that some have used as leverage against fringe movements, UFO advocates and researchers in this field by various individuals from more skeptic circles, which is unfortunate because at some point along the way, skeptics, rather than saying, let's make a good argument against something, let's instead, they tend to uh, employ character assassination. We've talked about this in the past when I've come on and discussed Frederick Valentich. Character assassination and ways to diminish an argument by pointing out the, uh, if not fallacies, the apparent, sometimes tenuous connections to negativity and anything from race issues to people smuggling drugs like Class had said about uh, Valentich. You know, these kinds of elements are presented for purpose of diminishing the argument through character assassination. And unfortunately, we've seen a little of that with the apparent trends that emerge in the contactee literature just as well. Now, what do you see in the contactee literature that you're referring to? Just the Nordic type alien or what? Yeah, I mean, the point I'm making here is that, again, the apparent presence of a Nordic alien, you know, with the blonde hair and the blue eyes, this isn't the only consistency. But, I mean, this idea of this kind of a Anglo, this perfect kind of a, well, I'll tell you, you know, for instance, during the Second World War, this would have been what Hitler and the Nazis would have probably called an ideal-looking person. We, of course, today recognize the, the obvious problems with that and the unfortunate ideology of the Nazis that uh, believed these kinds of things. Joseph Farrell, as a researcher, has really pointed this out. This is one element that emerges, but there are others, too, which kind of tie in with the Nazi UFO conspiracy theories. I don't mean to use that term, as I will often say. Here's your trigger warning, people. You know that I don't mean to use conspiracy theory as the weaponized term that I think many in the mainstream media use it for. I've been referred to as a conspiracy theorist or a conspiracy theory author because I write about UFOs. No matter how scientific you try to be about this, there is this kind of a collective attitude among many people today that this is a, a silly topic and that anyone who discusses it is a conspiracy theorist who believes in UFOs. But within serious UFO study, there are a number of theories that tie everything from the Nazis into it. And this is well known. So Joseph Farrell, the book specifically, although it's actually been, I should say, in a few of his books, but Saucer's Swastikas and Psyops was the book in particular that looked at some of these early contactee stories 
the themes and the imagery present in them, their relationship with, again, fascist movements like uh, the Nazi ideology, which was, as the uh, researcher Peter Levendable pointed out, it was very much a kind of an occult movement as much as it was any kind of a political movement. We've got more to come with Gene and Micah. You're in the Paracast. Thank you for listening to GCN. Be sure to visit GCNlive.com today. Has your body ever gone low blood sugar feeling weak, shaky, knowing you better eat something fast? We all know high blood sugar can lead to many metabolic problems. At GCNteam.com, we have a healthy blood sugar pack, focusing on the structure and function of stable blood sugar. Find us at GCNteam.com or call 877-878-4203. Nothing feels worse than unstable blood sugar. Call 877-878-4203. That's 877-878-4203. Water is the single most important thing your body needs, so you want to be sure it's the best for you and your family. Since 2005, thousands have depended on Berkey Purified Water. The Berkey Guy provides the lowest priced filtration systems in every size. For incredibly delicious water now and in an emergency, get to GoBerkey.com or call 877-886-3653. 877-886-3653. GoBerkey.com. How would you like to make 17% on your money in only 90 days? That's right. Gold owners made 17% in only three months as gold had its best quarterly gain in 30 years. Gold is on the move, and you need to get government-issued legal tender gold coins starting at only $139 each. The U.S. Money Reserve, one of the largest gold distributors in the country, announces the first ever at-cost gold release on this station for only $139 each. one 866 G-O-L-D, or online at usmoneyreserve.com. Official U.S. government-issued legal tender solid gold coins at cost for only $139 each. Call 1-866-944-G-O-L-D. Ask for a free 55-page gold buyer's book. Plus, get a free Walking Liberty half dollar just for reading this must-have book all about gold. Remember, gold is on the move, up 17%. Call 1-866-944-G-O-L-D. This is a healthcare alert from the Pain Relief Hotline. If you, a family member, or a loved one suffers from knee, back, shoulder, or ankle pain and have Medicare as your primary insurance, we've got great news. You don't have to suffer any longer. You can immediately qualify for a pain relieving brace at little or no cost to you by calling our 24-7 Pain Relief Hotline at 866-389-0620. Delivery is free and all paperwork is handled for you. If you are on Medicare and have knee, back, shoulder, or ankle pain, don't wait. You can qualify to immediately receive a pain-relieving brace at little or no cost by calling our 24-7 pain hotline now at 866-389-0620. Our representatives are standing by 24-7 to take your call and rush you your pain-relieving brace at little or no cost to you. Shipping is free and all paperwork is handled for you. Just call 866-389-0620. That's 866-389-0620. Again, 866-389-0620. Hi, Peter Vaccaro for ParanormalDate.com. Are you looking for love in all the wrong places? Now you have a chance to change that by signing up for free at ParanormalDate.com. This incredible dating site puts people of like minds together. People who are interested in the strange, the unusual, mysteries, ghosts, UFOs, and the afterlife, and so much more. ParanormalDate.com was developed for you. 
people seeking a viable alternative to the other dating services. You can join for free by going to ParanormalDate.com, and if you decide you like it and want to connect with people, use the code GEORGE for a substantial discount. Mark Rawlings, president of ParanormalDate.com, says so many people hunger to share their experiences about the paranormal, the unexplainable, or the afterlife, and so much more, and this is the source for them to meet and share that common interest. So sign up for free at ParanormalDate.com, ParanormalDate.com, and use the code GEORGE if you decide to connect with someone you like. My name is Richard Dolan. You're listening to the Paracast. We continue two more segments left with Micah Hanks, and we're starting to get into the rabbit hole of secret societies and stuff. So I want to continue in that vein with Micah Hanks of the Graylian Report. Micah? Yeah, certainly. Well, a good way to bridge over, I guess, from what we were talking about in the last segment is the so-called conspiracy theories that tie in everything from possible Nazi technology and things like this with the idea of modern UFOs. And I think that uh, maybe William Cooper had been one who uh, initially, he's an interesting character anyway you want to look at it, controversial too. Uh, When Cooper became uh, involved in in the UFO community, he was first saying that he had been given information or that he had obtained information and been shown this during his time as a naval officer and, of course, that this seemed to substantiate MJ-12. And then he later on kind of did an about-face and Cooper as he became more and more involved in, I think, the real kind of right-wing constitutionalist movements that uh, were particularly active in the 1990s and began to be around that time. He began to kind of change his perspectives, and Cooper had gone on to say he didn't think that they were anything that he'd thought they were. He said he thought that they were our own. He thought that he had been lied to and had been misled to believe that aliens were visiting Earth, and he thought that the the truth was that whatever this technology was, it was something our own government was using and that there was a massive disinformation campaign that he had actually fallen victim to himself, which brings us to this notion, Gene, that, uh, you know, and some have, as Cooper did, suggested that maybe the the mystery of the UFO presence can be explained through earthly technologies, and if not aliens, and if not some crypto-terrestrial civilization, then could it be our own global elitists, our own puppeteers that are pulling the strings from behind the scenes and controlling world affairs? I would say as far as conspiracy theories go, uh, you know, that may be just as valid a theory to support the idea of UFOs as any that we've examined here, you know, ET or whatever else. And so I guess one might question, could secret societies in some way, shape or form have anything to do with UFOs? I guess that would be the fundamental premise, huh? Well, let's look at secret societies. Now, we have Richard Dolan who talks of breakaway civilizations, which implies that a group of people, for whatever reason, decide they don't want to be a part of our society. They'll invent their own and go somewhere where they're not apt to be seen or discovered. Right. I've been fascinated with that theory for quite some time. And what's funny is I was in uh, I was in Leeds, England, with Richard last October, and he and I went walking all over town one uh, evening, and we found this. Uh, we were trying to find a, a restaurant. He and Anthony Beckett and I, and uh, I think Mike Cleland and his girlfriend were with us. As we were stomping around Leeds trying to find a restaurant, we found this great Indian spot. And so we go in there, and, and Rich and I are sitting side by side, and we were talking. And again, I'd like to point out here that the idea of, in its modern usage, a breakaway civilization was first, to my knowledge, employed by Richard Dolan. And I've subsequently heard that term used by a number of other researchers. Most recently, to my shock and amazement, 
I even heard Alex Jones refer to the breakaway civilization. So a lot of people have applied that terminology, and really, I think we have Rich to credit for that concept. Now, that said, when I was having dinner with Richard in Leeds, and the food was very good, I might add, uh, I was amazed that when I brought the uh, Friendship Island case from Chile in the 1980s to his attention, he wasn't familiar with that one, which I think is, if the stories are to be believed, I should say, maybe one of the best particular um, UFO cases that comes to mind. Whether or not it's really related to UFOs, I would I would question. But it certainly does seem to suggest some group or some sort of an operation carried out by those on the periphery of humankind that really don't want anything to do with the typical global affairs uh, as we know it in terms of geopolitics. Now, when it comes to the idea of secret societies and how they may relate to that, again, the fundamental premise, and this is once again, I guess, an extrapolation on conspiracy theories as it relates to UFO studies over the years, The premise is that globalist groups, and I keep using that term globalist, there are certain terms that, I mean, they're common in conspiracy literature. Globalization or globalists, who are those who advocate it, New World Order, this is a term that was utilized by uh, George Herbert Walker Bush during his presidency, and others have used it also. Uh, What we're talking about is an expanded effort by those in power and control, particularly in North America and Europe, to foster not only goodwill, but furthered uh, cooperation and working between North America and parts of Europe uh, in an effort to globalize a sort of world economy and political structure. This is a, a, you know, a rough explanation for this idea of globalism. Uh, some of the downside of globalism is, as was described in Time magazine recently, stuff like the Panama Papers, Mossack Fonseca. Globalization has also made it more easy for those in power and who you know, maintain one, the top 1% you know, of all the wealth in the world, the, the one percenters as they're called, it's made it easy for them to be able to you know, move their funds around and also evade taxation with it. So there are problems, obviously, associated with globalism, and many conspiracy, I guess, presenters or commentators often argue against globalization. But one thing that we might further infer based on the literature is that those in power and in positions of wealth and those capable of moving funds around into secret locations and keeping them off the record could easily influence and even possibly bankroll private funded projects that would utilize highly advanced technologies. And that brings us to the breakaway civilization. Richard has suggested that uh, perhaps one interpretation of the UFO phenomena is that the workings of such groups with their financial assets, with their shadowy dealings in the world of banking, and their ability to be able to privately and quietly fund such operations, that that might be the reality behind the UFO phenomena, uh, which is extremely interesting to me. And although a lot of people say that there's nothing to it and it couldn't be the case, I ask you simply this, is it any crazier than the idea that E.T. is visiting Earth? If we're to presume that there's anything to UFOs at all, are we crazy to say that, well, this could be something that could be explained through earthly technologies behind the scenes rather than E.T.'s, interdimensionals, crypto-terrestrials, something like that? It seems like, in fact, of those possibilities, the the least crazy, perhaps, of them all. Of course, we can theorize all the time about a breakaway civilization, about a secret organization that manages things such as the Bilderbergers or the Illuminati or the international bankers. But how do we go about proving any such thing? Well, that's the problem. You know, like the broader UFO phenomena itself, we have anecdotal reports made by people, uh, individuals, some of them very credible, that involve strange objects or illuminations that are seen in the sky. Some of these reports come from pilots. Some of these reports come from generals. Some come from police officers. Uh, some come from just, you know, average Joes like yourself or me. The problem is, is that to try and create a strong case for 
or an origin story for UFOs that draws from the idea of global elitists and secret societies, it relies on the same tenuous threads that ufology, uh, in, in the more general sense of the term, uh, relies on. It, it's, it's all anecdotal data. Well, we know that there have been secret groups. We do know in 1776 that the formation of the famous Illuminati took place. We do know that in the 1830s, the Order of Skull and Bones uh, made its way over to uh, Yale University. We, we know that the Bilderbergers began meeting in the 1950s and that they still meet today. But none of these realities that I discuss here uh, necessarily can be conclusively tied to something like UFOs. Um, and that's the, the kind of the catch, Gene, is that uh, while I think that if we were to extrapolate on what could be behind UFOs, um, some people would think it would be absurd to suppose that it's an earthly phenomenon because the technologies represented in the literature appear to be far too exotic to be accounted for through earthly technologies. I would differ in that, well, if we have no evidence that's, that, that conclusively proves alien life exists, aren't we creating a leap in judgment to presume that therefore aliens are behind the UFO phenomena? And so some people would say in the unlikelihood that aliens exist, or at very least the absence of evidence that we have right now, uh, maybe it's more likely that aliens, or what we perceive as them, come from the future. That's it's some sort of a future technology. You know, the problem is, is that it seems at the end of the day, no matter what filter we attempt to apply to UFOs in terms of understanding the broader phenomena, we don't seem to have good physical evidence or hard proof. We don't have a smoking gun. We don't have a document that ties it to the Bilderbergers or to some other group. There doesn't seem to be anything that conclusively ties this together for us. Now. I'm of the mind that there is a phenomenon. I'm of a mind that there is something to the vast minority of UFO reports that do constitute more than just hearsay, misidentifications, and people's hopeful belief in aliens. Whatever it is, I don't know. And that seems to be where we stand right now. And I'm, I know that that's probably um, it's kind of a letdown for people who are looking for the ultimate truth about UFOs, but I'd much rather tell you I don't know than to feed you a line and to try and you know bolster my claims when I don't have good proof. We have Micah Hanks of the Graylian Report with Gene Steinberg. You're in the Paracast. Thank you for listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today. Graphic Converter is the image manipulation tool for the rest of us. It does not use any database. You get full control of all your files. Want to view the images of a folder? Drag it into Graphic Converter and a powerful browser opens up to show your image files. You could use it for slideshows. You could use it to import images from digital cameras or from scanners. Need to do some image editing? You can do that too in Graphic Converter. Also, print catalogs convert from so many formats i can't even list them download now to see if graphic converter is good for you like one and a half million other users guess what you could save money when you buy graphic converter use the coupon code night owl use the coupon code night owl to get a special price for graphic converter go to lemkesoft.com that's l-e-m-k-e soft.com lemkesoft.com l-e-m-k-e soft.com I'm Jesse Gonzalez, Vice President of Kmart. Did you know that premature birth is the number one killer of babies in the United States? Or that survivors can face a lifetime of serious health problems? But you can help. Join me in Kmart for the March for Babies walk. We'll work together 
to raise funds for research and programs that help the Marchadines fight premature birth and birth defects and improve the health of moms and babies. Start your team today at MarchForBabies.org. There's nothing more enticing and intoxicating than the finest meat cooking on an open flame. Freeze-dried meat from NewHarvest.com is U.S. grown, 100% all-natural with no extra fillers. Just grass-fed beef and free-range chicken guaranteed to stay fresh and delicious. Add New Harvest freeze-dried meats to your current food storage. You'll buy direct from the factory, not a third party, ensuring the best price and the highest quality. See all our products at NewHarvestFoods.com. That's NewHarvestFoods.com. My dad was 59 when he collapsed from a heart attack late last year. Just this past August was when we spread his ashes on the St. Croix River. I loved my dad, but boy was he stubborn. He hadn't been to the doctor in over 25 years. His excuse? He simply couldn't afford it. He wasn't a rich man by any means. At less than $107 per month, libertyoncall.org would have been the perfect alternative for my father. Don't wait. Go to libertyoncall.org right now for not just your sake, but for the sake of your loved ones. Again, that's libertyoncall.org. I'm Nick Soboleski, a select quote agent with a true story that could save you hundreds of dollars a year. A woman named Linda just called. Her husband, Ray, has a $300,000 group life insurance policy, but is changing jobs and can't take it with him. Well, I impartially shopped the highly rated term life insurance companies we represent and found Ray, who is 41 and takes medication to control his cholesterol, a 10-year, $500,000 policy for under $26 a month. That's almost twice the coverage for less than half of what he had paid. If SelectQuote hasn't shopped for your life insurance, you're probably paying too much. For your free quote, call 1-800-403-4885. That's 1-800-403-4885, 1-800-403-4885, or go to selectquote.com. We shop, you save. Get full details on the example policy at selectquote.com slash commercials. Your price could vary depending on your health issuing company and other factors not available in all states. Are your Google search results killing you? Unflattering content in blogs, news articles, online reviews, social media, or other sources can jeopardize your reputation, your business, and your livelihood. Let Reputation.com help. Our patented technology will make the truth about you more visible while pushing down unwanted negative content. Improve your Google search results. Call Reputation.com at 1-800-831-0771 for a free consultation. That's 800-831-0771. Hi, it's Grant Cameron from PresidentialUFO.com. You're listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. He has one of those unusual voices that creates its own echo effect. Now, sometime I'm going to play with the various effects I can produce, (laughs) which I can do internally, but I don't want people to think that I'm some kind of extraterrestrial being but what we are doing is looking at the secret societies and all the weird stuff that's going on and of course we're familiar with skull and bone society at yale where a number of presidents who went to yale including w mm-hmm. were members now how do they all become members of this group i guess they imply when you ask them it's just fun you know it's just a way of kind of blowing off steam what do you think Well, you know, with Yale's secret society, of course, the Order of Skull and Bones, there are some interesting uh, aspects about this. And I think at the end of the day, (laughs) the ritual aspect of this 
is an element of absurdity that is prevalent in a lot of secret societies. Specifically, of course, there are the initiation rites, which um, some have said, and this is the thing is that a lot of this is kept out of you know, public record, but there are whispers about what actually happens that involve lying in a coffin and recounting various past experiences of different kinds. What's interesting is that that is um, one of many elements that emerge that uh, kind of tie in death or macabre imagery, you know, skulls and crossbones and corpses and things like this. They aren't the only group that uh, utilizes this kind of macabre imagery. There's another actually that's associated with Washington and Lee University that's called the Cadaver Society, lesser known than Skull and Bones, and probably for one simple reason. For whatever the case is, you pointed out with W being involved, his father before him, George Herbert Walker Bush, and then his father before him, Prescott Bush. The point is, is that all three of the Bushes were also bonesmen with Yale's Skull and Bones. And there were a lot of other people of note who have been members of Skull and Bones, William Howard Taft, uh, Percy Rockefeller. Uh, we had, uh, I think, William F. Buckley, the political writer, John Kerry, uh, David McCullough. You know, so there have been a lot of them. Uh, but the point is, is that uh, for whatever reason, Yale being, I think, you know, at the top tier as far as Ivy League schools go, their secret society does seem to have some sway and influence over those who go on to have careers in politics and government and whatnot. But many of these fraternal societies associated with these universities, they they do employ a kind of you know macabre imagery, and that seems to be something that harkens back to the early days of the mysteries, uh, you know, the Druidic cults you know of, of europe you know the ancient egyptian religions and whatnot they involved a lot of things that included the, uh, the idea of death and then rebirth uh this is something that was written an awful lot about by uh, J- sir james george frazier in his book the golden bow manly p hall in his book the secret teachings of all ages uh, and other literature talked a lot about the ancient mysteries and the way that the tr- traditions in those organizations that involved death and rebirth burial and coffin through initiation which symbolized the death of the sun god. Heliocentrism, or I guess, you know, worship of the sun, was central to a lot of these ancient groups. And whatever the method was that it made its way down, these same sorts of traditions have been carried on to the modern secret societies. And so this kind of, uh, this ritual component, absurd though it is at times, is something that is borrowed directly from the ancient mystery traditions of ancient times, the archaic groups of philosophers that would gather together with one central focus that secret wisdom existed, that it could be obtained and collected, and that maybe only certain members of society should be able to have access to that information, but that it should be carried on throughout the ages. And this is really the fundamental role secret societies have played uh, since time immemorial. We have all these organizations, and we have all these things that people involved in government do that gives rise to conspiracy theories. Now, in a previous segment, you mentioned in passing some of the news that's come out lately about something called the Panama Papers, which, again, Vladimir Putin supposedly had hidden some of his money. Maybe in the waning moments of this show, we could maybe focus on that just a little bit more because it certainly gives rise to all sorts of conspiracy theories. Um, And more so than Putin himself, uh, close friends and associates of his, uh, including, I think, uh, one famous cellist who was a friend of his, a lot of people. And it wasn't just Vladimir Putin. It was... um, also, I think uh, one of the most notable uh, world leaders who was uh, tied in with this, which actually led to his resignation, was the uh, Prime Minister of Iceland. This Mossack Fonseca thing, and that's a reference to the actual banking firm in Panama, it's, it's pretty interesting. I think this really kind of goes back to early 2015. There was a German newspaper, I think it's uh, Sedush Zeitung is the one, that uh, began having 
information leaked to them by a hacker. This is really, Gene, kind of similar to what ended up happening with Edward Snowden. And yet, strangely, there's very little being said. There's a big splash when it first broke about the Panama Papers. It's not something that has maintained a presence, I think, like the ongoing revelations of Edward Snowden and similar uh, data leaks, WikiLeaks, you know, have done this in the past. I'm amazed at how little is being said about the Panama Papers compared with other similar data leaks in, in the past. Despite the fact that the Panama Papers represents what many have said, and I think that this is a factual statement, it is the largest data leak of its kind in all history. So again, a hacker has managed to gain access to these documents that tie world leaders to any number of different organizations, uh, and, and of course their operations with the Fonseca Group, and the utilization of offshore banking uh, hijinks to get around uh, taxation. You know, And so there was this quote, which I've featured elsewhere, but I'll read a little of it for you really quickly right here. It was the one mention of the whole entire Panama Papers situation in Time magazine, something very deserving of a, of a cover story. This is all that was said in the briefing section. It said, in the U.S., the impact of the Fonseca thing is sure to be felt at the ballot box, talking about the 2016 election. Uh, many American voters already feel on a gut level that the global capitalism is working mainly for the 1% and not the 99, and that this has fueled the candidacies of both Bernie Sanders and billionaire Donald Trump. But the Panama Papers go beyond gut feelings to eliminate a key aspect of why the system is working. And this is what they state in time, namely that globalization has allowed the capital and assets of the rich to travel more freely even than those of everyone else. And the result is rampant tax avoidance, labor offshoring, and a class of elites that flies 35,000 feet over the problems and nations of their taxpayers. And I would just say that that statement right there, Gene, what little was said in time, nonetheless, I think, illustrates the aims and objectives of global groups today, that effort toward globalization. And the benefit of it is, as described right there, tax avoidance, labor offshoring, and elites who have access to funds and can do with what they want when they want uh, in ways that the 99% are not able to. And uh, that seems to be conspiratorial though it may sound, a very legitimate reality in the world today, which many either overlook or are simply not aware of at all. Now, one thing some politicians do is they pretend they're for the little guy. We're going to have policies here that will get you more jobs. So if we cut taxes for the rich, it'll filter down, trickle down to you. Of course, people finally realized 30 years after this was first proposed in the 80s that this doesn't work. Micah Hanks, take a few seconds here and tell us more about the things you do. I produce the Grayley and Report podcast, and occasionally I come on as a guest or a co-host on this one. I've got another podcast that uh, many listeners are probably less aware of, which is called Middle Theory, and you can find that at middletheory.com. That show deals with news and current events and the sort of stuff that we were just talking about in this segment. If you'd like to look at the discussion about UFOs that we featured a bit in the last hour, I've got the article up at micahanks.com on UFOs and applying science to it. And in the next few days, also look for an article about a brief history of secret societies in the Western world and their influence uh, on global affairs. That's also an interest of mine, and I'm glad to be able to come on and talk about it with you here on the Paracast. You can find us on Twitter. Look for the Paracast on Twitter. Also check out two, not one, but two official Paracast fan clubs on Facebook. And I see now that Facebook is growing by leaps and bounds. So somehow we've got to figure out how to take that to the next level. So if you are a Facebook expert, write us here at the Paracast, news at theparacast.com, and tell us how you can help us. We have a budget, I assure you, of exactly zero. But you can help with that too if you sign up for the Paracast Plus. Go to plus.theparacast.com, P-L-U-S.theparacast.com. 
Com. We offer the ad-free version of this show, no network ads, higher quality audios, therefore a special version of these episodes. We also give you the After the Powercast podcast. And by the way, neighbors, Micah Hanks will be joining us on After the Powercast to add to these discussions and have some other discussions. Next week, we'll be hearing from guest co-host Greg Bishop. And of course, Chris will be back soon when he's finished with his walkabout. In the meantime, at the Powercast Plus, we also offer some show transcripts. We're starting a video channel and more to come. A modest subscription rate gets you the Powercast Plus. We have a spring sale on long-term subscriptions, five-year subscriptions, lifetime, plus.thepowercast.com. Micah Hanks, thank you for joining us on the Powercast. Well, it is always my pleasure, Gene. The Paracast, featuring Gene Steinberg and Christopher O'Brien, is a copyrighted presentation of Making the Impossible Incorporated. Tune in next week for a new adventure in The Paracast. Thank <laughs> you.